recording and welcome one and all to the Meister Movie Podcast with friends where Zach and Alex are the friends. On this episode, hey. who really was supposed to be Daisy Ridley's baby daddy? Are Dune and Wonder Woman 1984 coming out this century? Will Zach stop licking his own balls? And do I still have a reason to live after Apocalypse Now? All that and more right here, right now. Zach and Alex, how you guys doing? That what? was... What the was that, that was about? The... <laughs> <laughs> I was so looking hard for you. And this how is what dare, Zach, Zach, how dare you get offended by that? That was one of the greatest things Chris has ever done. I wish that was about me. I wish that was about me licking my own balls, man. I wish it. That was on recording, man. You should that's an honor. That's an honor. Where the hell did that come from? You dirty animal, you. It must be apocalypse now. <laughs> I just wrote that in the span of five minutes. Impressive. I just had it in my head. It was like I should really actually think of an intro, of like like an actual like suitable intro instead of just like a cold, abrupt open. I liked it. It was very nice. I've, if every different week we were both either Zach or I was doing something gross or weird or humiliating, I'm totally for it. I'm all game for it. <laughs> All right, Zach, start licking your own balls. What? Uh, okay, what? This is a whole new crazy. Whoa. <laughs> I love the The thing he's got limber, shaking. Chris, is giving him a lot. Chris, Chris. He's giving him a lot. Chris. I'm not licking my balls. It's more like you licking my balls. You got you there, Zach. I mean, Chris. Yeah. I mean, I can't lick your balls. We're in quarantine. True. Very true. Very true. Gotta look your own balls, folks. Be safe. So, 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 Chris, uh, 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 we did a thing like two weeks ago. Yeah, go ahead. Talk about how uh, you're gonna ruin Mason and Woods. You, you can talk all about it all you want. So, Zach has been uh, working on a game that's not coming out this year. Um, happening. I don't. And it's definitely not going to be under ninety gigabytes, unlike most AAA games in the twenty first century. That's not true, but okay. <laughs> Destiny has been around since freaking 2012 and is still under 90 gigabytes. I don't want to hear a word of an excuse. But Destiny 2 is like 150 gigabytes. Wrong. It is not. I checked. It is 90. Uh. Dun, dun, dun. Suck it. 105, actually. A lot of Wrong. I'm looking at it. Argue with my hardware. Argue with my space. I, I'm Are you with my storage space? It says 89 gigabytes. For Destiny right here. 2? Yes. I'm looking at it on Steam right now. It's on, I'm looking at it on Steam right now. Yes, and what does it say? I'm look. It says 89. Where? Screenshot. Screenshot or it didn't happen. I accidentally launched Destiny 2. That's not what I wanted to do. Ah. Whoops. So you do it that. You got to do it that. 105 gigabytes available space required. Screenshots are nothing on our podcast. I'm going to refresh. Let's see. Playtime 132 hours, and I'm damn proud of it. Nice. Quarantine. That is, you should be proud of that. Let's see. How many times I watched Apocalypse? Let's go back to properties. I probably watched Apocalypse now like four times this week, and I'm watching it a fifth time as we're talking about it currently. 
Nice. Disc usage. Nine. What is it? Okay, yeah, 90. Okay, so about 95. That's still under 100. For a game made approximately three years ago. Yeah! And, to this day! Chris, Chris, Chris. And it's still uh, going! Okay, can, I, can I tell you something, though, Chris? 200 gigabytes for all that? No! For Modern Warfare? Yeah! Well, I'm not, I'm not defending Infinity Ward by any stretch of the imagination. Let me be clear. You work for him! I work for Activision, not for... You work for him! I don't work for Infinity Ward. Infinity Ward works for Activision and so do you. You test their games, which means you work for them indirectly. Sure. Guilty but... by association! <laughs> My 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 paycheck goes comes from Activision. Anyway, Zach, let, let me let's get this way, Zach. You can't. You have to take care of the bombs as well. You have to take responsibility for the sure. bombs as well. You do the successes. If whatever your your company quotations has a success, and all of a sudden you're under that umbrella of that success, but then yeah. when something bombs, you're like, I got to. Anyway, you anyway, you better set your bounds. You better set your bounds. Chris, it's not two hundred. It's one hundred eighty nine. But that's a whole another story. Secondly, why? Secondly, <laughs> most modern so single-player games these days are about 100 gigabytes. Like They're Final Fantasy VII, they are hundred. They are under 100. Final Fantasy VII is 100 gigabytes. Okay, listen. I have no idea. You got but a, I, okay. But how big? Okay, <laughs> then how big is Assassin's Creed Odyssey? Then 100 gigs, actually. No, it is not 100 gigs. 80. No. Here, I will fire up my Xbox. You want to keep going with this. Otherwise, move on to the next story before I prove my ass right again. Please do. Uh, fire up my Xbox right now. Avengers is 90, I believe, for just a single player. How do you break that up? It's all as the whole. It's the yeah. whole package. But, but All Chris. of that is 90. The whole... Yeah. Yeah, Chris. Not just the single player. Oh, no, 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 no. Avengers is a single player game. It is 90 gigabytes for a single There player. is a multiplayer component to it. No, it's not strictly a minor multiplayer game. A minor multiplayer I want, game. I want, I want people are saying it's bad. It's actually quite good. Anyway, can we talk can we about a freaking movie? So folks can I'm be involved. Just saying, when these, I, just want to, I just want to reassure the audience that when we talk about holes and percentages in Avengers, we're not talking about the Chris Evans story, right? Yes. Oh, for God's sake. I had to get a joke in there. You guys were getting <laughs> anyway, Anyways, Chris. Waka waka. Anyways, this is a game with a massive... You hear it right now. I'm looking right now. This is a game with a massive multiplayer component. A large... Yeah, you can't tell a good story anymore. And Warzone. It's not surprising that it's 189 gigabytes. Mm. Anyways. Malarkey! I demand justice! Anywho. So this Dune thing had a trailer. Yeah, a trailer okay. you didn't like. I didn't say I didn't like it. Did you say you didn't like it? No, I what said it. What do you say, Chris? I'm saying I, said, I loved it. I, I loved it. I can't I wait for that. I why Chris didn't have faith in it. That's what I said. 
Well, I've heard. Look at that! Like... Boom! Assassin's Creed Odyssey on the Xbox One X. As a whole, I'm... without all the DLC. I'm looking right at it on this podcast. Ninety-one point two gigabytes. Okay, that, that's a big single-player game, my guy. Ninety-one. That's not one hundred and fifty or two hundred. Yeah, for a single-player experience. It's not right, okay? That's all I'm saying. They okay. can't have our wallets, so they'll have our hard drive spaces. I don't like it. Nobody likes it. Everybody has said it's bad. That is bad. I agree. So stop hogging all our space, Zach. I have other games to play, like Fall Guys. You don't? Zach can't take responsibility for all this. You don't have. He can't take. He can't. He really can't. But he's not responsible for the space that they put on the drive. That's other people. He works for QA. Give him the. Give. Give him. Give. Give him that. Give him that input. Saying that. Tell them that that's bad. That argument works if you're part of the like Nazis or something. But like. Ah! Only works here in a video game company. He just. I just. I just. They're making it work seven days a week, dude. Mm Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I don't get rights. (laughs) You're giving up your rights. That's true, but I do like the money. Because you love your job. You say you love your job. True. Move on! Anyways, uh, so, uh, Dune had a trailer. Dune had a trailer. Dune had a trailer. Welcome to our Dune had a trailer segment, where we hope that Dune has a trailer. And today, this week, it turns out Dune had a trailer, guys. It all worked out. Um, it looks good. It looks amazing. I'm really excited because it cuts the movie at the exact point where I hoped it did. And and spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't listened to our Dune episode. But uh, big wild prediction theory here. Pretty sure they're gonna cut that. The end of the movie is going to be Paul Atreides becoming Muhadid. I think that's a fair component because that's pretty much when the Lynch movie kind of broke off and realized they couldn't the second half of the story in there and just kind of montage the rest of it out. But I, I, I have faith in this. I like Denis Villeneuve. That I believe is how you say his name. I could be wrong. Denis Villeneuve. Uh, yes. There you go. Uh, I. Love his films. I haven't seen Enemy yet. Um, that's the only one of his I have not seen. Um, but I, looking at this trailer, it could have been it could have been more colorful. It could, have, it could have been this. It could have been that. But I like its stark kind of like desert vibe that it has going. Like this desert, it's not supposed to look great. Um, and I do. I have heard interesting points about it taking some uh, imagery from um, Middle Eastern religion that uh, it should have cast some actors to resemble that as well. I don't know. I'm going to look into that because I think that's interesting. Uh, in terms of the aesthetic and the vibe of this trailer, because a lot of people are like, why wasn't it more colorful? Why was it more futuristic and stuff? And it's like, that's not what he's going for. And if you look at, like, if you look at 2049, I can see how people could feel that way. But I think this is probably going to be closer to, like, Prisoners or... Um, uh, also... I, the, I'd like to to mention too that like Dune as a book isn't very futuristic as a whole. It's very like there are spaceships and stuff like that, but like it's very industrial, very drag. And the whole point is that it's it's sci-fi without being sci-fi. 
Well, I would say it's very sci-fi, but like futuristic may not have been the right term to use, but sci-fi is certainly it. You have ships, and you have kind of like a steampunk vibe. That's sort of the thing. And like, I this is very influential on other sci-fi stuff, and it is that it's like planets. People are going to like planets. So on the bare bones surface, it is sci-fi, but the aesthetic and the vibe and its thematics are absolutely something else. And I hope I hope the director and everyone behind it writers have that vibe going too. I'm also very excited to see what they do with this. Obviously, as far as we're aware, it's just going to be the two movies based on the first book. But if they do choose to go forward with more, I love that their their functional character is going to kind of see them through all the books is Jason Momoa. His character is the character that showed up in every single Dune book. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's the thing. They go far into the future as the story continues. Um, yes, very, I, very far in the future. I liked a lot of looks and a lot of the characters' vibes and stuff like that. I, I've never really seen a lot of Timothy Chalamet's work. It's just, uh, it hasn't been in my like radar. Um, but he does seem like he'll have a good Kyle McLaughlin vibe about him that works for this character, especially because of all the whispering and voiceover. But I also, there's some other moments I liked. I liked the moment where the, um, the kind of stormtrooper guard guys are floating down. That one guy's floating down. There's something about the way the camera moves and how he looks that I feel like the director conjures really well with like stuff like the arrival and like the mysterious aspect of things. And so I'm looking forward to it. I, I am. It looks fun. Yeah. I mean, I'm looks also good. very happy with the design of the Harkonnens. They look great. I love that Dave Batista looks very vicious and very. Uh, formidable as a character uh stalin skazgard looks very baron harponen which is very good um and a lot of it just looks very interesting and we'll get to the big reveal that we got to see for the first time um but yeah i like everything i see zenyatta looks good oscar isaac looks good uh, Timothy Chalamet looks good. Uh, Dave Bautista looks great. Jason Momoa looks great. I mean, every single actor in this movie looks good. And I'm very excited to see more of this. And I'm very excited to see how they expand that first two thirds of the um, of the novel or the of the David Lynch movie that we got to see. Um, I'm very, very excited to find out what the back half of it is going to be because the back half of it was basically just a montage and action sequence. Yeah, we could have loved, I would have loved to see this stuff more fleshed out. I, I'm very excited to see that. I think the Harkonnens look very fearsome and that's good. Um, and there's so much more that we get to see at the end of this and I'm very excited to see that. Um, but to get to the to the big thing is we got to see the sandworms for the first time. Yeah, it kind of looks like I feel like you. Um, I've I could watch all the Tremors movies and then watch this afterwards, and I would like, oh, it works. This is Tremors, ladies and gentlemen, it's Tremors Six Dune. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like what I see. Um, the sandworms look very intimidating and very powerful and there's a lot of very interesting things that we get to see more i mean i don't think we're gonna go really deep like like in the fourth book with like human human sandworm hybrids weird shit but like i'm i mean you laugh about it chris but i'm not fucking kidding like that that's literally 
the bulk of the plot of, of God Emperor of Doom. <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah, no, I've heard some crazy stuff here, yeah. Dude, it, it's fucking crazy, dude. Like, it... It's like John Sales wrote it. It No, it really does, dude. So, like, that book is literally, Oh, my God, like, is that the start of Attack on Titan? Oh, God, yes. Is that how Attack on Titan starts? Yeah, dude. It, like, oh, my God. God Emperor Doom's insane like it, it's nutty those, those next the next like three books are like crazy but um yeah dude it, it, oh god um but uh yeah dude i'm i like what i see um i i really like Skaz, stan skazgard uh i love dave batista i think we're gonna get a good movie here that was good yeah i'm excited yeah uh any particular you, things you want to talk about, Chris? What did you think about Chris? Oh, God. So, okay. A preview... Sh- when I went to go see Tenet, a preview of this trailer showed in front of it. Uh-huh. I thought it was a new thing that was only exclusive to theaters. It turns uh-huh. out I wasn't. Because there are assholes on the internet who leaked it. Yes. And people were already talking about it. Indeed. So they've robbed me of that experience um, shortly afterwards. And um, now um, Zach will not stop mocking me about how they caved on the marketing. To which I say, whatever. <laughs> Not their fault that people can't keep it to themselves. Well, that's um, true. So. It's going to come out. So, yeah. Um, I was like, okay. Denis Villeneuve is making a Dune movie. The last one didn't go so well because David, those before David Lynch knew better. Um, And so I was watching the trailer. I'm like, okay, this is the perfect setting for me to see the very first of Denis Villeneuve's Dune. And now I am like, that's my most anticipated movie now. Go. Because there is no Star Wars. There is no Star Wars coming out except Mandalorian. And excited for the Fast Nine. Fast Nine is not coming out till next year. I'm talking about stuff that has a. Wait, didn't it get delayed too? Probably. Oh, yeah, I think it's coming out next year. I swear to God, man. I can't hear You're it. talking about this year. I don't really care about this year. I'm not expecting to see any movies in the theater this year. Dune remains in 2020 for now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Why? I don't... Listen, I... I mean, what's the big, what's the big deal about seeing it now rather than seeing it later when it's safe? I don't know. I don't know. Especially if I'm it's done. Maybe I just want to die. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no. So, yeah, I am now very excited because these visuals look insane. And, yeah, so I really... All I've seen from Denis Villeneuve is Sicario, Arrival, and Blade Runner 2049. That's all I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he only, uh, only leaves prisoners an enemy, I believe. And, um... So, yeah. I'm very much looking forward to this because there's no... 
there's no uh, sci-fi epic coming out for the next 50 years. So good. You know, give others a chance. I know. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited for that. Like, I was just watching a thing from Patrick H. Wellams about Gonzo blockbuster movies, and he talked about, like, Valerian and um, Fifth Element and other sci-fi, like Jupiter's Ascending, just sci-fi movies that just didn't get the chance because they were too crazy and didn't really um, apply to the basics that movies like Star Wars and Blade Runner had set up. Okay. Um, it is now week three since we found out that Mandalorian is coming out October 30th. No trailer. It happens. Six weeks. They have six weeks. We'll get more. Don't worry about that. We'll see more. That, that means I got to catch up then. Uh, yeah. And then Wonder Woman is coming out on Christmas. So take that, Disney. Now, Wonder Woman, now in, in place of Star Wars, we're going to get um, Wonder Woman lasso riding lightning. How would, did we skip over that when we talked about the Wonder Woman trailer? See, lasso rides lightning. How is nobody talking about this? That is pretty cool. That is awesome. Um, and then, um, <laughs> I guess we got to talk about... Um, <laughs> Daisy Ridley. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe this? I mean, no. It, it's very believable that like they had no plan. Oh my god. Alex, I was almost right. <laughs> How do you mean? I was almost right in that Ray was a Kenobi. Did you not hear what she said? Oh, no, I know what she said, but but it wasn't... Here's the thing. Yes, that was a possibility, but it turns out that there were... It looks like four possibilities, four main possibilities. She's a Kenobi, which they were talking about in the first movie. She's a Nobody, which was the second movie. She's a Skywalker, which everyone was talking about before the third movie. And then Palpatine, which was a possibility in the third movie that they hadn't even decided until the last minute. So it was really four that they were juggling, but no commitment was made to the last second, which is disconcerting. It's not surprising, though, <laughs> that they never had a plan and that Disney quickly turned tail and run when things got bad. We have seen it all. Indeed. We have I've seen it all. I just feel bad for Daisy Ridley because, like, she was just doing an interview and talking with Josh Gad, and she was just talking about Star Wars and, like, the production. And now, in every single thumbnail that referenced her talking about it in the interview, even from people that were, like, pissed about it, she's sitting there smiling, having a good time talking about Star Wars. And everyone is just getting all over her and just dragging us through the mud for this. And it's like, how, how much does that stuff? You can't even just mention. The time you had in Star Wars without someone sitting there and being like, she doesn't know what she's talking also, about. She doesn't, know Jay, like, she doesn't know Johnson. It's like, come on, guys. Like, The person here who made a mistake here was J.J. in storytelling for a, a sci-fi space adventure movie. It isn't that serious. It sucks because it's one of the most important and people love it and it'd be great if it ended nice. But like, she's not at fault of that. She's just an actress, man. Like, She apparently didn't even know. They weren't even... They weren't even talking to her clearly about it. So, like, 
how is it her fault at all? Yeah. Well, that's not. It does. And and what's even worse is you hear about these stories about her having trouble getting acting roles and all that. And it's just like, it's horrible, kind of. People don't want to be associated with her right now. I know. We we do a lot of content like shooting on these movies. But they're also movies at the end of the day. These actors deserve chances and deserve to have opinions about them, too. Like, I don't necessarily agree with John Boyega, but I think the one thing that's going to make these movies... Uh, more interesting and fun to talk about is time. But, like, obviously, she can't get up and be like, oh, yeah, one of the biggest reveals that we didn't know until the last second because they were still working on it, you know? And they've done that with other things before. It's just very apparent about... It sucks that the decision was not made since day one, considering that you were posing those questions since day one. That is what's interesting and very J.J. and sucks. But... Other shows and movies do that all the time. I guarantee you there's Avengers and, like, Dark Knight stuff that they had to decide at the last second. Like, this movie we watched tonight is a prime example where half of this stuff was improvised through the production and the problems that they went through. Like, there's a lot of things that could go into the making and the process of a movie. So I, I, I'll give that like, a big budget. Blockbuster has, like, production and notes and studio execs breathing down the neck, making decisions for the last minute, sure. But it's also very J.J., and that decision should have been made a long time by JJ, who started all this, other than getting pissed at the guy he gave the opportunity to, to work with, uh, and his decision, and backtracking it. And it also proves that, like, he didn't care about that, really. That's the thing that is so inherent to the character of Rey and who she is. That's something that needs to be there since, like, the beginning of Rise of Skywalker. But that's something that they, like, made it so that it could have been anybody. It could, she could have been a Kenobi. It could have been anything. At the end of the day, it wouldn't have mattered. Let's say she is a Kenobi. Then they would have just pulled the voiceovers, and then Kenobi would have walked in and been like, Ray, I'm here with you. You know my story now. Like, they could have done whatever, but she still would have said Skywalker or whatever. Like, it, she could have been anything. And the fact that they needed her to be something of this world that we're all comfortable with was the more important thing. And than what, giving I, what I also think is really interesting to, to Alex uh, is... I actually read that interview and like and saw it and like she even said for like a long while, JJ was like maybe we should just make her nobody and the importance of that a hero can come from anywhere. Um, ah, God, that's just again it's to the knife. That's the whole twist to the knife. It's all four of them, but he ended up caving into. It's four of them. It's all four of them. He was thinking about all four of them, but he caved to the one that was the worst decision. It's it's he's basically saying, I don't want her to be nobody. Um, the smart decision would have been a Kenobi, but also like it's the loosest. Like she just doesn't know him. So like, how can that be a satisfying thing for her? If she doesn't know who she is, and they at least saw that. Like she did. They didn't want her to be nobody. They wanted her to be somebody because that's what the trilogy has called for, and then for it to rhyme. And then uh, he picked Pal- Palpatine because he couldn't pick Skywalker. Like, he picked the one that he thought would give people the most comfortable thing, but also a twist. And it was the one nobody really wanted, but, like, could work if she's fighting to change her family. Like, blah, 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 blah. No, it should have been nobody because they aren't thinking of the future. They're thinking of the people who have seen all this stuff already and want the same thing. That was the decision J.J. made. If they, had, if they had actually made her nobody still and, like, stuck with it, I would have been actually impressed. I'm not going to. Oh, God. Just. This is why I posted on Facebook, the more I think about Star Wars, the angrier I get. Like. 
But Chris, I, I guess here's... I am, like, genuinely upset. I get it, Chris. I do. Every time... The, the, you really don't, because you mock me for it all the time. I'm not mocking um, this, but so... I, want, I genuinely want to know, Chris, why does she need to be somebody? Why are you asking me? I didn't want her to be somebody. He doesn't agree with that. He agrees with us about, like, her being a nobody. Jake, this Chris was before... This was before The okay. Last Jedi that I had made that call. I said she's a Kenobi. Got it, got it. And then I got disillusioned. And then I... Let me use I a modern term. Fight, then baby. I got pilled and then on, by Last yeah. Jedi. And I was like, okay, no, this is better. I, I understand this. Now, now I get it. Now this is better. It's better this way. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. So... I, I... I feel bad, Chris, because this is the Dark Ages. This is like the end of Revenge of the Sith. Like the Sith, the bad fans have won. And but there's hope out there, man. There's hope. The seeds have been laid. There, are, the Last Jedi is the seed of hope. Like these are good characters. So I just so want to believe you. I really want to believe you. I mean, of course, dude. First of all, Star Wars will not die. Star Wars will not die. They will continue to make stuff. Here's the thing. It, I, they will continue to milk the path as much as they can. Obi-Wan show, Mandalorian, all they can. At some point, though, all the kids who grew up with these films, with this trilogy, they will grow up to be filmmakers. All the teenagers, all the college kids who grew up with these movies and still love Star Wars, they will grow up to be in the business. And then they will have money. They will have clout. And they will have the opportunity to stand in front of the studio exec and pitch a better idea and involve Finn and Ray and all the people that they love and how to do it right. And they will be the ones to do it because there were people inspired by these films who don't know all the bullshit that we're going through right now. Those are the kids who have grown up to love the prequels now. They didn't. They were kids. They didn't know all the crap that everyone was talking about, how bad those movies were. They were just kids' movies to them, and now they love them, and they see the merits, and they love Pagan Christensen and the story of Darth and what he went through, and like those people who respond to those movies, and there are merits <laughs> to their arguments. There are, there are people who are going to love They're very meme-worthy and very, like, quotable, too, I've kind of... There are going to be people who love Solo, dude. There's going to be people who love Rogue One. There are going to be people, people who love this Disney era, and they will love the characters, and they will realize that they were handled poorly and that now they have a chance to be handled well. Time heals all wounds. It takes a, it takes a baby to turn into a Luke Skywalker for Luke Skywalker to change. That, like, that's... Just time, man. Star Wars isn't going anywhere, but it needs to realize it needs to go to the future. And the only people who seem to be able to realize that now are the people who don't have power. So the people with power need to die, and they need to go. Like, it, but it's also proof that that's not always the case because Ryan Johnson was one of those people. He's a thirty-year-old guy who was like, "I want to change things and do something different," and he worked his way up to the point where he had the keys to the kingdom, and he did it, and the fans revolted. But I'm hoping that that's not going to be the case years later. I don't think we'll it see. will be. We'll see. It sucks right now, I agree, but I don't think it's going to be the way it is forever. People will realize good things to do with property. They have to. <clears throat> yeah, we'll see about it. We'll see. Think of, and think Chris, of I fan. In, in the meantime, you are getting good stuff with Mandalorian and with Bad Batch. Yeah, but... With Star Wars. How long until that turns into fan service in and of itself? I mean, it, from what I hear about Season 2, it's already going to happen. It was always going to happen. The baby Yoda. I, look, I, 
I have no problem with that because it highlights something they should have done a while ago with Star Wars, which is tell stories outside of the Skywalkers in this universe. There's so many decades have gone by. There's so many different generations. You can do that. That's fine. But you can't do it to stall or ignore the future. You need to go past the Skywalkers. It just end them. And it's obvious they didn't have a future. So they need to have one, and if they don't, if they just keep going and going back in time and saying that this is the end of when it happens, right? At some point, there will be an audience person who has the money and the clout and the business to say, "Fuck that! I'm bringing it back, and I'm bringing it back right." It's gonna happen, man. Like they can't ignore the future forever. So yeah, <laughs> God, Chris, um, it will just take time. It, it's twins. Twenty-five years later. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's okay. a. Sorry, Zach. I interrupted Zach. It's okay. It, it's a. I I don't have the words anymore. Um. So. So yeah. <laughs> oh, damn. All right. Um. Anything else before we talk about what we watched? Uh, not really. I mean, any good shows we watch or movies? Mm. Um, uh, I you can go first. I watched Overlord. Overlord? Huh. How'd huh. you like that? <laughs> uh, it was way more of a war movie than I thought. I thought it was going to be half war, half horror, but it's like 75 war, 25 horror. That 25% of horror is very admirable and very gross and pretty practical, and I liked it. A lot of references to movies like this thing uh, and Inglorious Bastards. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's like Inglorious Bastards kind of thing. It's pretty interesting, but it's way more war uh, than I would have thought. There's some loose ends, but I did find it very interesting. Uh, I watched The Addams Family again, the first movie again. That was weirder than I remembered. Um, they're really good. Makes me want to watch the sequel. Uh, highlight Adam's Family movies. Those are really good. Um, God, is there anything new that I saw? No, I don't think so. I spent a lot of time looking up Apocalypse Now stuff. Uh, I rewatched Casino Royale. That was great. Um, oh, I saw. Um, I saw the first one of the first animated movies ever made, um, the nineteen twenty six Prince Adventures of Prince Aquaman. It was gorgeous. Oh, I loved it. Nice, super beautiful, super beautiful. Mm. Um, made by uh, uh, mostly mostly made by a female director and um, helped photograph by her husband for the kind of credit credit as co directors, but like mostly it was her project. And it's beautiful. It's basically like a bunch of stories from the same book as Aladdin. Aladdin shows up in there too. Like, uh, um, a thousand one Arabian Nights. But it's really beautiful. They use um, cutout pieces to make shadows with, against colored backgrounds. It's so gorgeous. So beautiful. Great use of frame. It's like a Wes Anderson thing. Uh, yeah, I'd say a huge, a huge influence on Wes Anderson's uh, Maison scene. Uh, really beautiful. Really like it. Nice. I uh, didn't really have too much time to watch too much. Uh, I've been very busy other than uh, watching a little bit of what we do in Shadows on YouTube when I get chance on break at work. Um, I also... What was the thing I was telling you about a couple days ago, Alex? Um, oh, God. I, was, I told you I was watching something, and I can't remember now. 
I can't either. Uh, beyond that, I we <laughs> well, I know you and I were talking about Miyazaki because you were thinking about going into that. Take dive, yeah. Once we get rid of my HBO Max pack, I'm gonna try to. I'm telling you, man. Once you're once you're in, man, it's it's a deep rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of movies, and they're all beautiful worlds individually, and they all have histories and productions to them. They've been around forever, and I love it. Like I get to take my time with it. It's gonna be like going. It's like it's to me Miyazaki films and that studio in general are gonna be like a video game. Where like each each land you have different adventures with, and then you could like move on to the next land. I feel like it's gonna be like that. But um, for the next butter thing, we're gonna do a bunch of stop motion movies. So I'm gonna be like devouring as much stop motion as I can. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that I was. I, you know what? I was telling you about Summer Wars. That <laughs> story about uh, Summer Wars. That's right. About how the director made the movie twice, basically. Yeah, it was a Digimon movie, and then he did it as an actual movie, which was a really dumb decision. Really dumb. (laughs) Super dumb decision. Yeah. uh, I don't understand that. So get this, Chris. This guy, like, he's a filmmaker. He's got this story in his back pocket. It's a passion project. He's on it forever. And then he finally gets a job to make a Digimon movie, to get his foot in the door in the business and, like, excel in the business. And he's like, well, I need a story for Digimon. So I'm going to use this really strong passion project that I have to be the bare bones of it and just shoehorn it into this Digimon world. And, like, it's a Digimon movie. It does whatever. It's, like, the great Pokemon. So, like, people saw it. But, like, got it really hard. So years later, he climbs up the company, like, in the business, and he does really, really well. And then finally, he has the clout to make Summer Wars, the actual story itself. And, like, he makes it, and it's capable, and it does really well, and people love it. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, you could have lost the right super fast, like, that's so dumb. That's so lazy. <laughs> like, I, he understands later that, like, how to make the movie and, like, to, yeah. like, really put his heart into it. And that's not lazy at all. But, like, at that time in his life, I think, I feel like that's just, like, oh, and Chris, so lazy. Chris, this is the first Digimon movie, too, that, that he did this with. So, he so not just... More it yeah. has been years since I've seen that movie. Yeah. That movie is is got a lot of what Summer Wars is in it. <laughs> like the entire villain plot is basically the same as Summer Wars. I thought that was so funny. I thought that was so interesting. I mean, it, it's <laughs> kind of, like, dumb, but Summer Wars is the better movie by by beyond description <laughs> yeah he's, he's a probably a great director and he's, he's probably a really nice guy but i just i listened to that and i'm like that's so dumb that's like the dumbest thing like <laughs> it's like that's like working on something it's like that's like raising a child forever and then your brother walks in and he's like i lost my baby and you're like here man just gonna take this baby real quick just have it <laughs> have it and then years later your brother dies and you're like oh i got my son back cool all right awesome you could have lost that kid man yeah. it's the worst metaphor but like it stands it counts oh god it's, it, don't it's look so into weird it. it's so oh, weird to, to remember like that's the one thing about summer wars that keeps getting me every time is the fact that it's the same movie as digimon what about you chris oh god um <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because we just <laughs> Rogue One. <laughs> wow. wow. 
I hate Star Wars right now. Star Wars makes me so mad. Rogue One, anyway? <laughs> it's the one movie that everybody can agree is, like, just the, fine. just fine. It's just fine. It's, it's, everyone can agree that it's, yes, good. It's a, everyone can agree that it's a satisfying movie. That, that the first half as flimsy as it is is saved by the second half. But, like, it's also self-contained. That's why everyone really, truly, honestly loves it. Right up until the last scene. Well, it's self-contained because, like, you meet these people for the first time. You meet her when she's a little girl, and then you meet her through her death. That's it. Like, we, we filled in the most important parts of her life with the universe of Star Wars. So, like, it's the only film that has a beginning and a middle and outside of the very first Star Wars movie. Everything else is connected also, to either outside characters or the universe itself. Also, I do know the story of Jyn Erso between when she was... Uh, discovered by Saw Gerrera, and when she we found that, her on Wolbani, because there's a book that's, about that's, it. That's extended. That's EU. No, I'm talking about movies, baby. <laughs> like people like sometimes ask, what's that one movie you wish you directed? Like Rogue One is going to be my answer to that question. Rise I wish Sky. I was behind. I wish I was in the chair for that one. Rise of Skywalker. No, no, listen. Listen, like, oh, God. Oh, no, no, you got me thinking. No, no. Dang it, it was going to be Rogue One. Now you're like... Let me ask you this. If someone's like, you could go back in time, you could do one thing, what would you do? And someone was like, hey, you're standing next to your friend, and they're like, man, I would love to, like, go to... No, 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 no. Think about the butterfly effect. Think about the butterfly effect. No, just listen to this. Chris, like, Chris, the butterfly effect. The, like, if you want to talk about if you want to talk about the butterfly effect, and you're willing to admit that the future may be hopeful post Rise of Skywalker, which I do believe honestly, and that the like the Rise of Skywalker happened for a reason, and that later we will see the reason for that. But like in the meantime, if I had a choice to save things, like if someone were to look at me and be like, "What would you do?" and my friend was like, "I." Man, like I, I, I want to go to Woodstock, man. Woodstock would be great. And the other person's like, I'd kill Hitler. And then like everyone in the room goes silent because that's the right answer. That that would like it doesn't matter how much I would screw up Rise of Skywalker more. I've seen somebody screw it up in a way that is truly effective to the story and detrimental in a way that affects everyone. Screw it. I would it. Go, if I were to go it's back so in cool. time, I would convince Colin Trevorrow to make Duel of Fate. Because it would still be better. No, 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 no. No, think about this. Think about this. If I could go back in time, I'd do Rogue One, and then that way, they, that way, like, okay, so. They, you. they might hire you for Ryan. They might hire me because then they, because I don't think that, that would stop them from firing Colin Javaro or stopping him from making. So if you, so if I go back and make Rogue One and it's, a, it's much better than what it is to be, and Tony Gilroy never really had to get involved, then. I could get that job either way, so I could still get both. Is what I'm saying. Possibly. I mean, that's like saying if I if I kill Mussolini, maybe I can kill Hitler. I'm like, no, just kill Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god. Yeah, honestly, I would just go back and I would just make sure Colin Trevorrow doesn't lose his job. (laughs) Like like Rogue One is good. Rogue One is so good that it's considered the favorite above all the other movies that they've made, including Mandalorian for most people. So like, I, 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 it's already fine the way it is. I don't want to touch that. 
That's that is the that is a great example of an okay Disney Star Wars movie. In fact, most people consider Han Solo less than that on so many levels, which honestly I don't. Han Solo's fine, and Rogue One has just a solid forty-minute stretch at the end. And like I, Rise of Skywalker is so bad. It's so bad from the day one script level basis that it's like, I if I was there just to like smack some sense into JJ and like make him. If it was me instead of him, I would. It would look terrible. I'd make terrible camera decisions. I wouldn't know blocking. But I'll tell you what, that story would be better. It would be laughable. It would be room level. People would know that it was a better story. Honestly, if I could go back in time, I'd just tell JJ, "I'm like, just use Colin Trevorrow's script and make it better." That's all you got. That's what I'm saying. Because, like, I think, it's like, I, just, just I still wouldn't want. I still better. wouldn't want. I still wouldn't want Colin Trevorrow to do it because I, because seeing like, um, because because seeing Jurassic World and Book of Henry, I don't think he's that striking for what no, this movie is calling for. Or, uh, if anything, I'd get somebody who has worked with him, and that's J. A. Bay- uh, Bayona from from from, from Fallen Kingdom. I'd get that guy. Yeah, that's a good call. I would actually pick that director too. But also, in this hypothetical situation, I'm assuming that I would get control of everything, and I love power, and I love telling people <laughs> what to do. I love being in a chair that has no back on it, but it's kind of like a cloth with my name on it, a director's chair. I, if it was me, I'd want the power, man. I want the don't money. Forget the, don't and... forget the, uh, the, uh, the hat, that, uh, that French hat. Hat, the beret, I want the beret. And then I'll and take the traffic all the cone of a megaphone. Take the shit afterwards, Chris, man. Let's be, let, Alex. Let's be honest. You would, you would make duel fates. So. Uh, um, honestly, I if if I yeah, did, I think I would more or less. If, if I had to choose between those two scripts, and there was no other scripts that I could commission or ask other writers to work on, because I have other writers, I think that would be better for this. But if only I had to choose between those two, absolutely duel. And yes, if I had to, if I had to choose between those two scripts and pick any director I wanted who has worked with Spielberg before, Christian nailed it on the head. Fallen Kingdom is a beautiful movie with a fucked up script, and so like he and, and I love a monster call. So I think that guy is more Spielberg than like a lot of other people are. He just hasn't had a chance to prove it um, quite yet. So yeah, I would have picked him uh, for the third filmmaker uh, for sure. I actually like that choice a lot. Fallen Kingdom um, just has a really crazy script. That's like the biggest problem with that movie. I will say, I will say one thing, or two things about the Trevor script. One, it, it in the script it it uh it says that Ray goes blind from lightsaber strike, and then she gets he- and then that she gets healed from her blindness. I'm like, okay, no, either she's either fully either she gets blinded or she doesn't. If she gets blinded, she's Neo. If she doesn't, well, you're not drawing any comparisons there. It's just a fight. But, but but Chris, did you you've seen um, Force Awakens? But it like, doesn't matter. She already is Neo. Um, yeah, I mean, I I would take a blinding of the eye, and if she was a lot, because it's not just Neo. It's also Johnny Depp in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. It's also the guy from uh, Mad Max Fury Road, who's you know he is the scales of justice. You know, there's other people who've been blinded to movies. Uh, I would take a dis- I would take a disfigurement of her that she has to handle at the end of the movie, like other Jedi's have before, including Luke, um, including uh, Yoda getting you know having to walk with a cane. He's got his ass handed to him. Uh, and I would say uh, 
I wouldn't mind her having like a visor over her face or like her having like darker eyes or something like that because it would be an interesting visual for her in later movies. And also, there are people who are blind who kick ass and do things. Awesome. There are people who are good example. Uh, Paul Atreides in the second Dune book at the very end of it does get blinded. So and then, and then there's Donnie Yen in Rogue One. But anyway, um, ah, oh yeah, Donnie Yen, yeah, gets really good. Or dead, or Daredevil. I don't know. Anyway, second. At the end of it all, it looks good. Second. Okay, so my my personal preference is I I just wouldn't do it. Um, I would <laughs> We don't need to draw any more comparisons from her to Luke. It's done. We don't need we don't need to cut off her hand. No, anyway, I mean, who's just cut off her hand? We're blinding her here, Chris. Come on. I I have no problem with her having a, a battle scar that she carries with her. She's a warrior. Why not? For her to be perfectly unscarred, like that's fine. But you know, it's also battle. Like why not? Anyway, like, Mad, second. Mad Max gets his leg crushed. Or, I mean, his arm crushed. So second, the battle, the, the climactic battle takes place over Coruscant. Over and put it in space. Why? Because here's the thing. J the Force Awakens had this problem. Um, that for me, me personally, didn't really feel that big. They're just flying. Like there's a certain aesthetic to like seeing, like in Return of the Jedi, like this massive battle between two, <laughs> between two fl two fleets that are just colliding together. It's a giant mess and spectacle. And like all of these movies have had battles. Mostly on the ground or in atmosphere. I need a full-fledged space battle, just like, like in Rogue well, One. So, Chris... You're going to argue that The Last Jedi did that in the beginning, to which I say... I wasn't going to argue that. Okay, but cool. I was going to say, Chris, that the whole point of that final battle... Put it in space! Well, it, it was a, it's a final confrontation. They don't have resources. I mean, all the imagery of it is showing, like, like fucking retrofitted like ATSTs that are used as battlements and like destroyed other things and people in like half stormtrooper armor because there there's nothing left. They don't have money for ships. They don't have the ability to be to, to have I would agree with you if it wasn't for the fact that the plot point was if they go in, if they light this thing up this signal beam whatever everybody comes so of so to say that they won't have resources when everyone and their mother will show up yeah at the very doesn't end, make it, sense it, it, yes at, in our helm's deep moment when you know gandalf the white shows up and he has rohan uh, like the the reinforcements with him and it's like oh we're here to save you and it's a giant space battle Slightly then, sure, yeah, have that moment then. Well, then but, like, but until then, it is, it is a giant rubble fight. It's really cool. It's really Put it in space. All ships can fly in space in Star Wars. Okay. If it wasn't clear. I don't know, Alex. I like the I like the Lord of the Rings kind of thought there, but all right. No, but then it's just end game again. They did that in the Rise of Skywalker. Well, just have the two, just have the two massive fleets collide. Just do it. Like, don't 
like have like a Deus Ex Machina with the eagle with like the eagles in Return of the King or um I'm making a two towers reference here, boy. Come on. I'm thinking Return of the King. Anyway, so like and the ghosts in Return of the King. There's that too. Um like Endgame did it and that was earned. Just don't do it. Just don't do the Deus Ex Machina. That's all I'm saying. Put it in space. Nine movies. Put it in space. That's all I'm saying. Put it in space. Okay, so you're saying put it in space. You're talking about Rise of Skywalker, right? Yeah, put the last battle in space. Here's why it's not... Here's why I'm going to explain it. Uh, The reason... The same reason that Return of the Jedi isn't entirely in space. Return of the Jedi has three stories. It has Luke and Vader in the Empire. It has the ships with uh, Lando in space. And then it has the fight on the ground in the jungle. Okay, 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 okay. Let me clarify then. Let me clarify that. No, no, I'm saying that. Let me finish. Skywalker has the whole throne room bullshit with Rey and the Emperor and um, uh, Kylo. And it's so dark. It's so drab. It's so, like, red. And then you have this fight. If you had it in space, it would also be dark and drab in space. But if they have it in this blue sky where you can see all the different ships in the background and see all the little fan service ships, that one's ghosts, this one's here. You can't really do that very well in the black sky in space. If they want to have that moment, they need a blue sky so you see all the detail. And also the other segment is incredibly black. You're asking for an entirely black second half of this movie. And if you're bored of it already story and character-wise, that's going to be awful. Well, if it's in Duel of the Fates, then they battle on the Mortis Monolith. So, where Luke and Rey do. Not Luke. Luke! Ah, I'm losing my mind. I can't talk about this anymore. Um, anyway. Anyways, I'm just going on. We live in a world. All I'm saying is, we live in a world where Colin Trevorrow had a, had a much more of a clue than J.J. Abrams did. I can't believe it, even though it's not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Oh, well. Oh, think, well. Just looking at the stuff, the imagery we've seen, I I liked a lot of what I saw there. I like the kind of design they're sitting at for the final battle. It looks cool. It feels cool. There's a lot of interesting things going on there. There's a lot of things you would get to see in the background that would look cool. Like, the, the final battle looks, as, as many described it, apocalyptic. And that's what it should be in, as the final Star Wars fight. Anyway, I don't know. I, I haven't watched Rise in a long time. I don't remember a lot from that battle. No, I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I actually you. think Rise oh of Skywalker is the last film I saw in the theater. Oof! Oh, oh God, dude! That's, that's that joke. alone. Joke. That alone is worth going to going joke. to see Tenet. Getting sick yeah. from get, going to Tenet. That alone is worth it. You don't, do you really want to like? I saw Joker the, before that. I, Alex, I swear, I will put that on your tombstone. <laughs> the last movie he saw in a movie theater was The Rise of Skywalker. And then underneath that, it would be a quote from me that goes, "Whoopsie daisies." <laughs> um, I don't. I think it's funny because I think Rise of Skywalker is an interesting movie to talk about, but it's so contentious. <laughs> anyway. I was sneezing. Huh. Um, so yeah, I do think it's an interesting movie to talk about, although it's very contentious. I think it's the most interesting 
like bad blockbuster movie that we've had in a long time. Watching that thing about Gonzo blockbusters, it reminded me. Of, this reminded me a lot of that. Like the problem for those movies is not the world or the like the production or the money that's going on or the cast. It's the story. It's the story decisions. It's the decisions you actually thought to propel your story with. It's not. They're not good. Like it's um it's a Jurassic World to me. Uh, Fallen Kingdom. It's a um uh, Amazing Spider-Man two. Um, it's a John Carter. I'm like, like this is a giant expensive movie that is bad. Super interestingly bad. It's if also, but it's bad. If there's one thing that I would want them to take away from Endgame. Mm. Not the Deus Ex Machina. The fact that it was shot entirely in IMAX. Like, the occasion calls for it, I think. Anyway. 22 movies, that is a... Like, to me, when I think of Endgame, I think of Infinity War and Endgame together. So, I Infinity War is the... No, I mean, like, Infinity War and Endgame were shot both entirely in IMAX. Well, what what I'm saying is like that's I that's a amazing I didn't know that, but um for me what I find really interesting about those movies is it's not just that it took 22 movies for them to earn that kind of moment, it it took 22 movies forget how to make Infinity War correctly. Infinity War is amazing, and Endgame is a victory lap. It's as good as Infinity War for other reasons, but it is 110 percent a victory lap. It's like they earned that moment at that end of that movie to pull that do S, that do X machina because they did it right. And I I applaud them for that moment. Everyone's doing it cheaply and that sucks. Um, but that's what happens when like a big money making moment happens. Everyone loves it. And executives watch all these videos of people freaking out at that moment and they're like, Oh, we need to recreate that moment. And they're like, Oh, they earned that. And they're like, no, we don't have time for that. We wanna buy it. Can we buy that moment and put it in our movie. Yeah, it's yeah. <clears throat> and it's a moment that Disney doesn't plan to get to very quickly either. They 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 have kind of openly admitted that the next big moment in the vein of this that they're going to do is Secret Wars, which is years off. So anyway, <laughs> it's been that- nine months and we still can't let the scab heal. Oh. Because it's a really interesting wound, and it's big. It's a big wound. Yeah. Anyway. Also, I um to get away from to get away from that real quick. I also did watch uh Mission Impossible Fallout again. Oh. It's a fallout. It's a Mission Impossible Fallout. That's a theme song, right? Yes. Um. I'm, I'm glad you're waving at me in the tree to confirm that. <laughs> I should have put that in the intro. Yep. At least today, the day I finally shoot Alex out of that tree. Um, <laughs> God, I hope not. I have so I have a margarita maker here. I have a cappuccino machine. Here lies Alex. The last movie he saw in theaters was Rise of Skywalker. Um, Whoopsie daisies. Uh, just a bunch of machines that produce liquid in a tree. So, ow. So, Mission Impossible Fallout. I real like. It really didn't hit me. Like, I wa- like I watched the movie and the stunts are amazing, and like I've been thinking about it a lot. It's like there really needs to be a best stunt choreography award at the Oscars or somewhere. You know what I'm saying? I really hope so. Like, cause like you've got cause between like 
Fury Road and like heck, even Rogue One too. I'll throw that in there. And movies like that and like and then Mission Impossible Fallout. Um like there really needs to be a stuntman category. Also, to close the book on uh, Star Wars, I'm also like I also really like McQuarrie's uh visual style. And um I am really sad that he has been like that he has like outward that he has said in lieu of the last Jedi, he has said, I am not making I'm not. I, I'm. I have no interest in making a Star Wars film anymore because you people don't know what what a good movie is if it slapped you on the ass. Um, and that sucks too. That's like again, this whole reaction with Daisy Ridley and a lot of other people. They're afraid of the fans now, and that does suck. But again, time is what's going to make the strong and the brave and Disney ever. Like we need like time for people to truly realize what happens here. Honestly, yes. Um, so that's, that's, uh, pretty much what I saw while we were, uh, gone. You mentioned the Oscars. The Oscars did actually unroll a new set of guidelines and, uh, rules that they're going to use to broaden diversity and they plan on applying those in 2024. I didn't read all of them, but, um, a couple of them I saw. So we'll see if they apply them all in four years. Uh, That is remarkable. Yeah. I really don't know. Like, we'll see how we're gonna see how movies adapt to that. Then, um, they'll probably just like, all right, that's cool, we'll do it. Um, if they want the Oscar bait, I'm not sure that that's probably. It's gonna be interesting what kind of Oscar bait comes out uh, post COVID. Yeah. The the TIFF hopefully not movies like Crash. Well, no, I think we're done with movies like Crash. I think they learned from a mistake there. But uh, maybe not, because three billboards from Mississippi almost won. And same arguments from people there. But, like, it's interesting right now, because TIFF is happening right now um, through drive-ins and um, mobily. So people can watch the movies at home at the festival, but then they can also go to drive-ins in, like, New York and specific cities and watch them on the sides of buildings, which is pretty cool. But the one that everyone seems to... Uh, agree is a masterpiece is a movie called No Man Land with um, uh, the woman who's in Three Billboards. Um, I forgot her. Frances McDermott. Um, and it's a female director and she's Asian, I believe, and people are freaking out about this movie. No one says it's bad. Everyone says it's amazing and like it's getting a lot of buzz. That's good. That, that um, American Utopia by Spike Lee, which is a direction of the musical of uh, David Byrne's album. Which does he make like to. two movies a year? D- Spike Lee he is the, puts out a lot of stuff. He's prolific. He's the more he's the Woody Allen that we should have been talking about all along. Woody Allen used to make like a movie. In fact, Woody Allen is putting out a movie this year, regardless. But like Woody Allen would put out like two movies a year, and that, that's what Spike Lee's doing now. And people ask him. Why do you do that? And he goes, I'm like Prince. My, I, make an, I make two to three albums a year. I, I don't stop making music. And if you look at Prince's career, like, yeah, he shit out like, like two albums a year. And all of them are like good to great. He's never bad. Prince has never made a bad album. So, I'd also like to uh, point out that, that as of right now, uh, Spike Lee has uh, Da Five Bloods is going to be the first movie he's made in two years. 
as a director. I haven't watched. I haven't watched. That's correct. Oh wait, no, didn't he just make Black Clansman and get nominated for? He Oscar made. Movie? He made. Yeah, uh, twenty eighteen. That was two years ago. No, oh, wait a second. Now hold that's on. Not now. True. So if he put out the Five Bloods this year. Um, yeah. Then he, he's okay. Then he's putting out American Utopia as well. So he made two movies this year. American Utopia. He didn't make. Oh yeah, it is 2020, 2018. What did he, he make, make last year? He produced it, I think, but I don't think he made it. Who directed it? Um. I know that he didn't make it, so I'm gonna find out. Uh. Oh. He... I could I'd imagine it's like the hangover situation where Alex you actually directed it. That's weird. It's not on his IMDb. I... That's weird. Yeah, yeah. Um well no no wait wait. If you go to IMDb, look up at the tab at the top now because they've started doing this. They will start to show the movies that are completed and not the movies that are mm, that makes sense. That you makes can change that tab so you can see what's coming up. It's tricking a couple times. That makes sense. Uh Find out. Give me just a minute. Spike Lee. Yeah, because he was doing a bunch of interviews with David Byrne. I'm like, I think he made it because he did. You wouldn't just do these interviews if you just produced it. Um, and then I heard he directed it, and I was like, Wow, Spike, way to go. He oh, okay, so he's made. Uh, he's made four things this year, but. Prior to that, he has made mostly just shorts, and then he did a TV series. And that's that's kind of all he's really done since then. And then this year, he's been really busy. Yeah, he's had a um, he's got a new um, fire just, under his butt. Yeah, black clan. Yeah, well, <laughs> he lost to the fucking movie about the dude in the fucking Green death. Book. Let's yeah. all remember about Green Book. Well, to quote. To quote Spike Lee on this one. <laughs> more things change, the more things stay the same. Uh no, he 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 used a very, very questionable choice of words. Um he said uh He said I'm snake bit. Every time someone is driving somebody, I fucking lose. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Okay, so he made Black Klansman in 2008. Yeah, because uh, he lost prior to that to Driving Miss Daisy, and that was bad. um, Driving Miss Daisy is probably the bigger one. Uh, um, uh, Do the Right Thing is like a classic. I watched that again with my mom. He he Um, was not happy about losing a green book. He, he, if I had okay, a choice he, that year, he loves Marshala Ali. He loves the fact that it's it's a black story, but he's so fucking pissed that it. No, it's, hey, it's so it's a white story about a black man, but it yes. no black Klansman was like that. Yes. If I had a choice from that year, I would have chose Black Klansman, honestly. Yeah. So anyway, that's um, that's what I watched, and uh, Tom Cruise is still insane. Um, well, that's not surprising, dude. Still, yeah, that's that stunt is amazing. It looks amazing. So, anyway, um, so yeah, okay, so we're about to go into uh, apocalypse now. But before we do that, real quick, 
No, I do not have a sponsor. Um, I wish. Um, <laughs> that means we don't get paid. Sponsored by um, Honey, guys. We're sponsored by Honey. No, we're not. We're not. Damn no, it. We're not. We're not. I wish. So, <laughs> um, I just want to. Okay, so like, before we go into the main topic, I want to clarify something that I said last week. So, well, not last week, last episode with uh, Fury Rep. When I said I wasn't here, I don't know this. Okay, so I so I had said like okay, I really didn't feel like I. This is the first time I had realized that, um, that the wives were, um, being just abused by this evil thing. What I meant to say was, I okay. So I'm not an idiot. I didn't just realize like oh they're being sexually abused. I didn't notice that. Um. That's not what I'm saying. I always knew they were. But you sure, Chris? with with yeah. how with in light of like recent events and all like speaking out and me too, it's like it just hit even harder that time around. Cause I was just coming off the back of like the professional wrestling business going through its own um sexual abuse, like um tidal wave and like that just hit it hit different what i meant to say is it just it hit me harder and it just like you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying right yeah, it's like it just yeah, like, like just added a whole bunch of weight to it. i'm like oh man like whoa th- now this it just hit me just how messed up it really is so what i meant to say was like it yeah I'm not an idiot. Well, well first of all, I do Enti- not entirely you, an idiot. I, I will give you the credit that, like, it's not like Fury Road ever has a moment where he abuses them. It's not like they continue to go in this. It's not like someone sits down and has a story about how he gets on top of her and then she starts crying. The be- the closest they get to is the fact that they have a clamp that protects other people from having sex with them, and that two of them are pregnant. That that's really what you get from that sense, but the movie doesn't really swim in that. They're swimming on the freedom that these women—they don't want to swim in what they were, what oppressed them. They are—they're—they want to swim in that they are leaving their oppression. That their oppression is like what's causing all of this. And it wasn't just what's happened to them; it's caused the whole world to be this way. So uh, the, they don't really like paint it on that picture. So I get—I get what you were talking about in that moment, but. Um, Yes, you did say that you didn't, but it didn't wasn't something that you thought happened because it wasn't really in the forefront. But the the fact that you're responding to this now is the whole point. That's how you learn. It's the more people talking about it. It's seeing it in the things that you love. It's like knowing like offhand that oh, I love sports. I love sports. Then you find out later, well, everyone was juicing. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, well, that sucked. But I mean, I still love the game. I still love. I respect it. I still love the. You have to. You have to wreck that within your own mind and how you perceive the things that you do. And the whole point of that movie is to get you to see that. It's making a statement that most action movies refuse to make. In fact, some, like the Transformers movies, go the opposite route and just sexualize women. So, like, this movie, when, like I said, someone asked me, why do the women wear those outfits? Well, it's because it's not by their choice. The men made them wear that, that were controlling them. By the end of the film, they wear what they want to wear and form outfits and identities through their like clothing choices. So the film makes that statement. 
it makes the statement that this is the oppression they're leaving. Like you just don't get that in a lot of films. So for you to like take a little bit to like hear yourself and think that and see it in wrestling and think about it and reflect on it, that's wrestling and what's happening there and a film with the goal to do that to you combine combining together to do that to you. It's a good thing. So like the fact that you recognize it and want to try and do better, that's amazing. That's awesome. You are not responsible for what happened to these people, but you are responsible for how you respond to the media that they try to control you with. And you have to be skeptical of it. And you have to like pick it apart sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes you just want to enjoy wrestling. You just want to turn that shit on and watch a guy jump from some ropes. Like that's what they want you to do. That's the whole point. And that's hopefully the goal of everyone jumping off those ropes in the first place. They are performers that are physical. And that's the whole goal. So no one wants to talk about it. I get it, but like it turns out like we need to. We're well past the point of uncomfortable. People so, are really getting hurt by this. So there was also the scene where they um where they uh cut the baby out of Van Herod's uh dying body. So it does there's like that's just that moment just like washes over you and you're like wait a second, did they just cut a baby out of a dead woman? Yes they did. Yeah. They try to put a little bit of humor to yeah, it, but also so, the, the intent is to be as callous as they are and just shocked by how callous they are. Yeah, so um Fury Road is actually quite brutal. Um anyway. Speaking of brutal. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to make the point that I think going from Mad Max to this movie was actually a good decision. Uh, I think it carries over pretty well in terms of getting it out of the way. So we spun the wheel. The curiosity wheel. Curiosity wheel. And... What, it wait, landed wait, wait, on wait. Apocalypse Now for the second how, how, time. I was going to say, you should start with the first time it happened. The first time it happened was when COVID was first settling and I was quarantined and I was just bummed out of my mind. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, listen, guys, I, I'm, not in the, I'm not in the mindset to do this right now. Can we, just, can we please spin something else? And graciously, you did. And I thank you for that. Pause. Um, so... We waited a little while longer. Wait, I forgot. I didn't even hear what you said. Pause. Was that the right choice? Having seen the movie now. Oh, God. That was the right choice. Thank you. Okay, yeah. I think it was the right choice, too. Um, so we waited a little while long, longer. We watched some other curiosity that I now forget. Um, and now... I think we, we legit watched about. I think we watched about time. So we went, we went from like a. We could have watched this and instead landed on a very absolutely positive movie. Yes. <clears throat> um, but now the wheel has said, "Okay, now, now you watch it." And now, um, I, uh, I told, I told myself when we first spun it, and I said, "No, I'm like, listen, the next time we spin this, I will do it, no matter, no matter what." And here we are. I wasn't gonna hold you that. Um, and um, so before so before we go into it, Alex, I need to ask you a very important question. Oh yeah, sure. Who is Francis Ford Coppola? 
Oh my gosh. Well, let me ask you a question. How much do you know about Francis Ford Coppola? Godfather, and that's it. Okay. So, how much so, do you know so, about so, Francis Ford Coppola? So, so, Alex, before you go too deep on this, Chris. No. Francis Ford Coppola is Nicolas Cage's, I believe, great uncle. I thought you were going to say his mom. No, it's his great uncle. Ah. Was this his uncle or great uncle? I don't know. Um, I, I think he is his uncle, not his great uncle. Um, Francis Ford Coppola is the father of Sofia Coppola and also the father of Roman Coppola. Both have been very prominent in the film industry. Uh, people would argue that the Coppola family is the most definitive filmmaking family. Well, they certainly have the most clout on, behind them within our with anything past 1950. Before then, you still have like the, like Drew Barrymore and her family has been in the movies since the silent era. There's like there's royalty of 110%. The Makowitz, there's a lot, but the these guys since the 1970s have been a big like Talia Shire, huge huge immense impact on cinema in the 70s. Francis Ford Coppola is the most important filmmaker of the 70s, period, period, Chris. This is the man who, he, he came up through, well, first of all, when he was really young, he got sick, he got polio, and he got paralyzed, and he was stuck in his room, and that's how he fell in love with TV and movies and stories in general. He got into film school, and he like became very good friends in a scholarship with George Lucas. They would go on to make a company together as best friends called Zio, Zio, Um Lucas would make his films uh, start with like a short film, move on to THX 1138, eventually make American Graffiti. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola started his work through Roger Corman. Roger Corman, if you don't know, is one of the greatest low-budget B filmmakers of all time, and he's also responsible for some of the most famous filmmakers of all time. He's like he's like the mentor. He's like a Mr. Miyagi of film. No one really knows Mr. Miyagi, but they know his students kind of a thing. Um, but Bruce Lee is the, on everyone's tongue, but the, his master is one of the most important masters of China, Chinese history, period. So this is the thing with Roger Corman. He taught him all this stuff. And he gave him an opportunity to make a film. He, Francis Ford Coppola looked at him and said, can I make this film? And I'll double the money in the process. He did. It was a small little horror flasher film. And then that got him the opportunity to write a script for a movie called Patton, George C. Scott. It was a fight to get his script through the process, but it did. It won him an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. And George C. Scott won for Best Actor. So Francis Ford Coppola now has an Oscar in his hand. And he has got the opportunity to direct a, a movie called The Godfather for Robert Evans. Robert Evans does like the process that he's doing, like the pre-production and the starting filming of The Godfather. He tries to fire him. He can't now. Francis Ford Coppola has an Oscar, and they become bitter rivals throughout the history of Hollywood. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, Francis Ford Coppola goes on to make The Godfather, which is the biggest hit. It makes all the money. Um, all the critics love it. And it's a huge milestone. It's it's like it's amazing. A Godfather, in my opinion, is the perfect movie. Um, and it's beautiful. It won it won Best Picture. It won uh, Best Screenplay. Uh, Marlon Brando won Best Actor. He is now the talk of the town. And so he's like, with this company I've started with George Lucas, we're gonna make big movies so that we can make small movies. And he decides I'll make the Godfather Part Two, which he really didn't want to make. Um, and so that I can make a movie called The Conversation. 
and he does. And both of them get nominated for Best Picture at the same time. He wins for <laughs> Godfather. And he wins for the adapted screenplay. This is the only time this has ever happened. He is the greatest filmmaker of the 70s period. He's on everyone's tongue. And Some would argue that he might be the greatest filmmaker of all time. Because he, of uh, he certainly has one of the greatest runs. Like, if you look at a, like an athlete, for example, someone who like goes from team to team, let's say he's on a team for four years and that's the team that was perfect with him. They won like a bunch of Super Bowls and then he leaves and he's okay. Because like after Apocalypse Now, he would never reach this clout again. He would make other very good movies. He would make shit. And then he would also go on to make smaller independent movies the way Lucas said he always would do. But he's, you know, he just has a wine, uh, uh, he makes wine and he uses that to make his movies now. So they're just small little independent things. Like, he's out of Hollywood's favor. And a lot of it had to do with how this movie was made because it went incredibly over budget. Like, he just kept making stuff without really getting the okay on money and it was pissing people off. Like, part of the problem with the 70s is that they were giving independent... The, one of the greatest things about the 70s, but one of the reasons it fell apart, is that they were giving filmmakers all the freedom and all the money to make whatever they want. And, you know, you get movies like this, you get movies like Heaven's Gate, they start to swallow studios. They're huge, huge, massive chances that they just didn't want to take anymore. And then the 80s turned into John Hughes and Reaganomics and, like, everything became, like, macho machismo stuff and all of this art left. So this is, like, the pinnacle of like the best success of giving an insane filmmaker all the money to make whatever he wants and getting a result out of it. Um, Marlon Brando is a huge problem. For example, he didn't want to work with Francis Ford Coppola again. He didn't memorize the script. He didn't read the book. It was based off of, he came in overweight. He didn't know his lines and he just, you know, did whatever he wanted on set. It was a horrible, horrible, like trial and tribulation. Everything that could go wrong in this movie did Chris. Like it took three years to edit. It, it, they were supposed to shoot it in 14 weeks. They shot it in 16 months. This thing is... Uh, you could make three movies on the history of how this movie was made. There's so much like entwined with that, what happened that like it just got embedded with the script itself. But still, it still got Chris, made. This is, this is the academic example of when you go to film school and they say anything that can go wrong will go wrong, can go wrong. This is the movie they use the example of. It, Funny, I it's thought it Jaws. Um, oh, this Jaws. is worse than Jaws, Chris. This makes Jaws so, look like... You're making that abundantly clear. Well, no, no, no. This this is a beautiful movie, but it's not for everyone. It has It's a mood piece, whereas Jaws can be watched and enjoyed by everyone. That's why it's an even bigger success, and Spielberg is bigger and more popular and has been more consistent than Coppola. But this is, this is a miraculous movie for what was made. In fact, he went... The process of this movie was so crazy. His wife, who was with him the entire time, who had never made a movie, just bought a camera, shot, shot 60 hours worth of footage, and got a bunch of interviews from him. And then in 1991, a couple of filmmakers came by, took all that footage, and made a movie out of it. It's called Hearts of Darkness, and it's about a filmmaker going insane while he makes Apocalypse Now. So yeah, it's you learn a lot about how a movie is made through Heart of Darkness, about the process that, that a, a man who has so much money and so much responsibility to tell a, just a story on film is going through. It's insane. But the, there, there's, like, other stories about how this happened. Like, the George Lucas one was they were still partners in their company. Um, 
but the they couldn't get the government approval to tell this to get money to tell the story. Like they couldn't get tanks and like the military involved. They got their own money for all of that. This is all independently funded through their company. The, like they had to buy all this stuff. So because the the government didn't like the fact that they were asking a someone to commit an assassination, they didn't want it to be portrayed on film. But that is exactly what this is. So what are you going to do? Um, and that took forever to get done. So Lucas went off and made American Graffiti. Well, that was a huge hit. And it, it like got a lot of respect for him. And he's like, well, now I don't want to go to the jungle for four months. I instead would like to work on this Flash Gordon adaptation. And that fell through. And he was still stuck with Apocalypse Now. And he's like, well, I don't really want to make this anymore. But what was it in this story that I wanted to make in the first place? And he, the way he wanted to make it was like, 16 millimeter black and white handheld documentary style footage. He didn't want to go the big blockbuster route that Coppola did. So his idea was like, what do I see in the story that I like? And it was this idea of helicopters attacking these villagers. And like these villagers that were like nothing against these helicopters and guns and bombs and tanks. And yet they, the America was losing. And he took that and he put that in Star Wars and that became the rebels against the empire. And so he basically took the element he liked in Apocalypse Now and that gave him the fuel to completely run with Star Wars. So if Apocalypse Now had gotten the okay from the government, we never would have gotten Star Wars. That's, I did watch that video that you sent me. Mm. I was like, I heard that part. I was like, that explains a lot and it also brings up an interesting idea that they could have used i'm like so if the empire was actually based on america like how america was treating the vietnamese in his mind then with the whole first with like the whole then maybe you could make the first order kind of like embody some of those aspects of like America of like, you know, um, um, what are the what's the vocabulary? American hubris. Okay. Like, I mean, they are portrayed way more as Nazis. Now. Right. Like, they're strictly space Nazis, but I think like, I understand that they wanted to reestablish Star Wars. Like, I know that like they're like space Nazis, but I kind of would have liked to have lived in like to have seen in, like an alternative like idea of like how of like if the first order was like bush administration or something or similar to that fair like the gulf war yeah yeah for sure or like um after 9 11 for sure Um, yeah i think that's just what he saw within this story because like this is the second vietnam movie that had ever come out um after vietnam like the, the Green Beret, or was being produced during Vietnam. Um, Green Berets by John Wayne had come out during the war, and it was very conservative and anti-communism. And this movie came out in 79, but they started production like well before 76. So they're, they're, they even thought about shooting this movie in Vietnam, so like during the war. Um, so there are aspects of the idea of the war that was here, but like... Mostly, I think what Lucas is talking about is that first section where the helicopters come in and the ride of the Valkyries. I just think that's what he responded to the most visually. Maybe that was something he responded to in the war, but I, I also think he was applying that to Flash Gordon. 
So I, I'm, I don't know his, his political thoughts at the time or necessarily whether they are well-rounded within like society's view of Vietnam War because I don't understand that. All I know is that like this is way more of a movie about a director who wanted to create an actual war for a movie and then film it and went insane in the process. And that's kind of why Tropic Thunder exists. <laughs> so, <laughs> from what I've heard about Tropic Thunder is that so much of Tropic Thunder is based around the making of Apocalypse Now and that whole theme and everything and trying to get that realism and, and doing uh, a huge comedy spin on it. Do, do you remember Big Lebowski, Chris? Yes, I do. That's in theaters now. Yeah, I know. Do you remember John Candy's part? Oh, uh, uh, you're asking me to go really back. Um, John Candy's do it, John. Best friend who's a Vietnam vet who would freak out and like ruin everything that would happen. Oh, you mean like John Goodman? Yes, John Goodman, not John Candy. I'm sorry, John Goodman. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. Character in the movie is based off the writer of this movie, and like the Cohen brothers are like, this guy's an insane guy who just won't shut up about Vietnam. So like, that dude John Candy is based off of being. I'm the only way around here. I'm about the rules. Exactly. Like. Yeah. And then I watched that interview between him and Coppola, and it's just like, oh no, he looks and sounds exactly like John Candy. Like he cast it. John Goodman. Um. So, that's pretty. Like this movie came out. It was a big hit. Um, despite uh, all the problems that happened, it got nominated for a bunch of Oscars, Best Picture, Best Director. It won for cinematography and I think sound or editing. One other one, but certainly cinematography. I, I think literally and, the next Vietnam movie that ever got made after this was Full Metal Jacket too. Full Metal Jacket was 1980, and 87, then 87, 87. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, sorry. Um. Then, then that would mean Platoon beat it. Then Platoon was the next biggest Vietnam movie that happened. Was uh, it? Yes, Platoon is before Full Metal Jacket. Oh, so it is by a year. Yeah, I thought it was tighter. Um, but um, those would be the two next biggest ones, and Platoon would also be uh, played by Martin Sheen's son, Charlie Sheen. And then they would. I tried to get you to watch this movie, Chris. In Hot Shots Part Two, um, Charlie Sheen is on the boat quoting his lines from Platoon, while Martin Sheen is on another boat quoting his lines from Apocalypse Now. And then they pass each other, and then they stand up and they wave and they go, "I love you in Wall Street." And then they <laughs> they both float away from each other. Um, and Platoon, yeah, Platoon is very good. I th- I like this movie for a lot of reasons. It's very good. I think there are two sides of different coins about how people experience Vietnam, and it's usually Platoon and Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now is like the crazy, like post-traumatic stress syndrome-causing stuff. The more you see, the more insane and broken you become as a human being that war causes. Whereas Platoon is like, you're sitting in the jungle, you're with your best friends, you're scared as shit, and then all of a sudden your best friend is gone. And then you have to keep moving on. And that's what the war is for a lot of people. Um, so to compare Chris, this, Chris, interesting. did you know that Lawrence Fishburne was in this movie? I did. Yes. He was 14. Was he 14 or was he 17? I thought he was no, 16. He, no, no, he's 14 when they casted him, so he probably went from 15 to 16 in the process. Holy crap! He lied about his age. Wow. Uh, There's a lot, of story, a lot of stories about this movie, about how Martin Sheen shot the beginning scene of him 
freaking out that he was really drunk. He really cut his hand. Oh, yeah. Um, I know really about this shit. one. Yeah. That looked uh, really real. That did look yeah, really real. real. That's because it was real. It was one. Yeah, they caught. They casted Harvey Keitel originally, and they shot stuff with him, but they cut him out. And we we had to redo the whole movie and review it with a different actor, um, Marlon Brando and his and all his bullshit. Um, uh, Martin all Sheen had a bunch had of bullshit too. Was Robert uh, Duvall like Robert Duvall was like drunk the whole like? Robert Duvall was drunk. Yeah. Um, Martin Sheen had a heart attack um, during the production <laughs> and had to come back. Um, the director lost a, a ton of weight, and he was known as a very fat Italian guy. And he lost; he got extremely skinny to the point that he shaved his beard and was able to go back to LA and no one recognized him. Um, yeah, there's a there's an immense amount of stories about the making of this movie, Chris, that are almost uh, almost if not more so interesting the movie than it, itself. Like, if you want to know some of the craziest banana war movie stuff ever? It's Apocalypse Now. You can. It, there's a wealth of information. It's ridiculous, but there's some do well. in the movie it for like make... a shot. Uh, uh, Arlie Emery's in the movie for like a shot. Like, um, uh, it it did really well. It did really well at the Oscars. Francis Ford did not recover. He made other movies like The Outsiders and stuff that a lot of people really like, um, but he did not recover. He ended up making bombs like Jack with Robin Williams and Bill Cosby, and that Supernova uncredited. And um, he would pick himself up with movies like Tetra um, that I really like and has made other personal films that I enjoy. But he has never come back into the same sort of clout that he had before. Um, but he's still best friends with Lucas and Spielberg and De Palma. Um, they're all from that same school. They all came out at the same time. And um, he wants Lucas to make stuff. He hounds Lucas to put out his films or to make a movie again. He doesn't understand why he doesn't. He has the money. He's like, you have the money. I have to scrounge to get my movies made. Like, why aren't you making anything? Um, uh, so yeah, once we get to the Godfather films, you'll be able to really see what Coppola can do. But uh, Godfather 2, I think, might be the best, my favorite movie of his. But I think the Godfather, I think the Godfather is my favorite, but I think the Godfather Part 2 is better. And the Godfather Part 3 is okay. Um, but this... This is something else. Apocalypse Now's story of making his history of being, being made is just as interesting as the movie itself, I think. But the movie itself is sort of a hard watch. So what did, what did you think, uh, Chris? Okay. Um, <laughs> so I picked the... I think this was really bad timing for me. In a different yes, way yes, than yes. in a different way. Would there ever be good timing for this kind of movie? Um, given how my life goes, no. Um, so <laughs> uh, we don't have to harp on it, but the Vikings lost in humiliating fashion again, and we'll continue to do so because uh, life isn't perfect. And um, yeah, so I was coming off of that. And then I was really tired. I was like, okay, I really need to take a nap. And then Zach is like, okay, can we start at five? I'm like, there goes my nap. So I watched Apocalypse Now. I'm like, okay. <laughs> gotta eat my gotta eat my own uh gotta eat my own crow when it comes to my methods of how I watch movies that are spun. So I was like, okay, this is going to be uh because I because like throughout the week, because I'm 
there's like I'm, I'm working and I'm going to school and I'm like, okay, I'm going to put this in the back. I put this in the back of my mind and the day finally arrived. I'm like, okay, I have to settle down. This is, <laughs> this is going to be a rough ride. Boy, was it ever. And so I had to, so when it came to, okay, so I was able to go through the entire first half of the movie. Then they got to the point where the play, where the playboy girls were on the platform. I'm like, wait, where am I? And so I paused and I looked at the time like, this is, this is good. I know how the scene ends because it's like, because like, I've seen Rambo 4. This is going to end poorly. So it didn't end as poorly as I thought it would, but I was like, this is not going to, this is not going to be okay. Um, but it was not as bad as how it ended in, as, as how uh, Rambo 4 went where with, with the dancers in the hut. I was like, oh no, are they going to like, are they going to like strip these women down against their will? Like, oh, okay, they got out of there. Like, <sighs> U.S. government, it's the USO show. Yeah, but these those soldiers are rabbit, I tell you. Uh, fair enough. They just wanted autographs. Um, this Alex, you're gonna have to explain to me thematically what this movie represents because when I came out of it, I'm like, that was two and a half hours of people suffering through Vietnam that I probably need and never, I probably don't ever really want to see ever again. <laughs> Beautiful. I have to stress, and I have to. Have to and, yet, and yet, let, let me ask you this: How many times have you seen Saving Private Ryan? And will see Saving Private? That's Ryan? the thing. That's the thing too. I actually have not seen Saving Private Ryan since we reviewed it. That's very unfortunate. But that's my point. People say, and people talk about uh, the, when people talk about Vietnam films. People usually say Apocalypse Now is it. They're like, that was it. You want to go to Vietnam? That was it. That was the war. That was what it was like. Regardless of whether this film is realistic or not, they're talking about the vibe and like what they came back from. Was this is the closest thing? And then when people see Saving Private Ryan, they're like, "This was ten minutes. That was it. That was what it was like." It's just interesting to me. Um, but I do see what you're saying. This isn't the kind of movie that you would watch normally. It's two and a half hours of it. Um, and what it means thematically is, uh, it's based off a book called The Heart of Darkness. Okay. Which is about um, a guy um, way back in the 1800s is looking, going down the Congo River on a boat looking for an ivory trader named Kurt who has gone insane. And the further they go down the river, the further they just get into the jungle and they see the, the horrors of like war and what it does to people. They, they expand that here in Vietnam, but basically the story is how war dehumanizes how horror like evil dehumanizes you in several different ways so when they meet robert duvall and everyone they're meeting um a group of people who treat war like a game and they dehumanize the enemy now they're still trying to help people they don't care who they like hurt in the process but they still think they're doing the right thing and all they care about is winning, you know. Smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory, you know. He does. He's not even looking at the explosion in the background, man. Like he murdered a bunch of people, and to him, it was just to serve and to win. War is the game. It's it's noise in the background of what they really want. There's there's spoils, and the reason they do enjoy it is they don't lose. They're fighting people in grass huts, tanks against grass huts. The first time you see them, they have teeth on a tank. 
that look like a shark mowing down a grass hut. They paint their um, helicopters. They play music as they ride in. They have dehumanized the enemy to create war as a game. The next group of people at the USO show, these people dehumanize the innocent. They only care about themselves. They don't care about the women. They don't care about the people they're playing and they don't care about everyone else. What they want are the women. They want motorcycles. They want gas. They want this. They want that. Like, it's gluttony. They don't care about. They don't care about the innocent anymore. This is More kind people. of like Mad Max Fear Road. Not, not just That's not like not just Fear Road. This is like Mad Max, like in general. Exactly. So the third. This one, was more green. The third one is the bridge, and it's insanity. They don't care. Those people do not care about themselves. Those people are gone. They're in a haze. Their explanation for their actions and for everything around them is to just say crazy shit. To think crazy. That's their only option. And guess what? That's also where most of the black soldiers are. In the asshole of this war. And so all of them are just sort of like whatever. No one's in control. Some people theorize that Roach, the guy who shoots the grenade launcher towards a guy who's buried under bodies and is no harm to anyone on the other side. They're just killing him because they, you know, can. Uh, and they don't care about themselves. They're just, they're, they're jumping into the boats to try and get away. They, they're all insane. And so they no longer care about the enemy. They don't care about themselves. And they don't care about the innocent. So if you can get past the point of madness but still keep your sanity somewhat, there's only two people that have ever been able to do that, really. And who do you think those two people are? Kurt Willard. That, that's what the movie is about. The movie is about the other side of good. That there are actual people out there who can do this sort of thing and still go home to their families at the end of the day. Pablo Escobar, um, hotel, uh, cartel drug dealers in Mexico. Um, the speech that Marlon Brando gives at the end, where he's like, we ran into we ran into this village, we tried to save these kids and inoculate them from disease, and so we gave them shots in their arms. For the villagers, the people that you know didn't want these kids to you know be healthy, while we're wreaking havoc on this village, these bandits, they cut the arms off, and then they went home. And they put them in a pile and they went home. And the the act, the, the sheer will to do that, to be a human being but still not care, to not judge yourself for those actions, that's truly evil. That's brilliant. That, in his mind, like that's what that's what this place is. Like that I, I have the power to do all you need to do is to be able to do that and not care that you did it. And so it, the the difference between him and Willard, I guess, at the end of the day is method. You know, Willard understands there is no method. You know, he's begging for it to happen. He's begging for death. And at the heart of darkness, that's all you really want. So Willard just sort of... There, there are people who look at the idea of the heart of darkness as an actual tangible thing within the movie. That, that um, it's a uh, sort of supernatural thing. There's a lot of quotes and stuff that, make, that Willard says that makes it seem... Like things are happening supernaturally, but really he's just, you know, got a fractured mind too. Since the beginning of the movie, he's had a fractured mind. So um, there are people that are like, the heart of darkness is a real thing that he kills Colonel Kurtz for, and that's why Kurtz's children are bowing to him at the end of the movie, including Lance, who's just one of them now. Um, and but he doesn't this he doesn't continue to do it what does he do he goes he goes to his boat and then he has the almighty probably drop uh, bombs on that village and kill everyone anyway while he rides away with lance the almighty god so there are a lot of like weird 
things in this movie thematically. Like when the beginning happens and he's in the hotel and he's seeing images of the end and the doors are playing, they're, the lyrics match what happens later at the end of the movie. There, there's a lot of like three years of editing gives you that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> but thematically, it, there isn't about it's not about good at all, it's about the journey that people go through to be that kind of evil. All the people who don't, who can't, you know, accept their actions or have some sort of like uh, conscience about it, like when Lawrence Fishburne dies, the chief um, is crying, he's begging for her to come back, even the uh, chef is crying and chief is sad he's looking at the blood on his hand when they shoot the people like lawrence fishburne feels bad and chef is crying like willard just walks up and shoots the woman he had he doesn't care about her he, he is already dehumanized in his mind he's well past that point uh he is an observer in all these actions and the only time he makes any sort of action it's because it slowed him down from meeting kurt more which i believe is because he thinks kurt is the only person who can explain what's happened to him like, he doesn't know what's happened to him. Kurtz is making sense to him. If he meets him, he'll understand this person. And then he kills him. <laughs> so, um, it is about, it's about, yeah. The story, the story of the Heart of Darkness has been around for, uh, well, I think it's before the, the 1900s. So, it's been around for a while. Uh, and it's been a reference and been part of other stories before. But this is probably the best adaptation of it that a lot of people view because it really is about what the book is about um the true evil that's in everyone and like Kurtz and willard or any of us you can be him i can be him it's the joker it's you know how far does it take to your push but it's not a guy wandering around in clown makeup it's the guy in a business suit sitting in a corporation who doesn't care that he's burning the earth with climate change because you know he wants money or he just doesn't care Huh. Um, so yeah, like, I have to also preface, like, this movie is gorgeous. Um, yes. gorgeous. Um, it's very pretty. It still holds up very well to this day. Agreed. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was, so I was watching this, and I was just like, this is, I okay. So it in my head, I thought this is a man going insane throughout the course of the movie. Whereas when I first saw that opening scene, I'm like, oh, he's already crazy. Um, yeah. And then I guess this is to me the relationship I have with this movie is it's just like a win. It's like it's like that window into. Um, it's a window, it's a perfect window into this, into this, uh, period of time. And, like, um, this hat, okay, I actually, okay, I didn't see it initially, but the more I think about it, now I'm starting to see what you mean. It's like, watching Mad Max, and then, Mad Max Fury Road, and then this, there's, there's some overlap there. Yeah. Um, like, the whole thing about, like, like the whole thing, the whole thing about keeping your sanity in, like, or keeping your humanity, um, where everything else around, you, like that line in the beginning of Off Your Road is like, like over time I didn't know, after like after some time like you don't like, I didn't know who was crazier, me or everyone else, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think about that line, I think about this movie because it's just like, um, because that's the vibe I was getting. I didn't necessarily get or like understand where the um internal monologue from Martin Sheen's character was going. Like, I didn't, I wasn't like um following that like well i guess um because i was like okay so he's because like i was like (sighs) i guess the thing is like for me okay so like this is like this feels to me like the opposite of a jj abrams movie that okay have you guys seen like um have you heard of the uh the youtube channel just right no. Yeah, where he did a video on Rise of Skywalker, and he explained J.J. Abrams' style. It's all, it's no scenes, just plot. Um, I feel like this movie is kind of the opposite, and that was an adjustment for me, because like I felt like it was all scenes, and like the plot really got lost on me. Yes, it's a very bare bones plot. Zach was okay because I felt like I was because like with movies that have bare bone plots that are known as classics, and then I watch it, I'm like, what was the plot? I was like, wait a minute, hold on, that's literally I was literally looking. I I shouldn't have known I was looking in the wrong place. I get caught up in like that's where I get caught up sometimes, where it's like I get you have to you have to accept a movie for what it is. Right. right when it shows up. You can have expectations. Everyone does. There's nothing wrong with that. But when the movie is actually in front of you, you have to accept it for what it is. The more movies you watch, the more you're willing to accept. So, um, yes, this movie's plot is basically a man goes up the river, meets another man, and kills him. That's it. That's literally it. All, and then you watch a cow get killed, which was well, apparently it, real. It's all window dressing. But, yes, they murdered that cow. Um, oh my god, I watched that whole thing. Ugh, I can't get it out of my head now. It's a, sac- a sacrifice for that tribe. They just filmed it. Um, uh, you could have used that for chocolate milk. I, it, it doesn't produce chocolate milk. It produces milk. You can make milk. chocolate milk out of it. Yes, you could, but I don't think I don't know if they do that with their cocoa leaves. Anyway, um, I think it's the Philippines. Sad. Uh, I, I would say this is, this is the thing about the 70s. A lot of art was produced at this time like that's the thing it wasn't about plot it was about the portrait that you made it was about the film itself being the story it's about being taken from beginning to end as a whole not having your hand held all the way star wars did that star wars is the first one that really did that jaws like if you watch if we watch jaws again you understand again like it takes a while before we get on the boat and when we get on the boat, that's when it becomes like an actual legitimate kind of adventure movie. It takes forever to get to that point. There's a lot of set dressing to get there. Mood and atmosphere and like a couple people go before that happens and we still don't see the shark. So the 70s were about theme, yes, more than plot. That's like that's the point. They kept giving money to directors who would just make movies like this and then they started making bad ones. Um, there's a three-hour, I think maybe four-hour epic called Heaven's Gate by the guy who made Deer Hunter, which take it or leave it, Deer Hunter is a respectably technical movie, but it's also 
to a lot of people, three hours of like bullshit to a certain extent, but it was a big hit. And people gave money to that director again. His name was Michael Cimino, I believe. And then he made Heaven's Gate, and Heaven's Gate was a massive bomb. It was super boring, nobody liked it, and it was beautiful, but just like useless. It was just this huge, giant, useless piece of crap, and it buried the studio. People were like, we're done. We're done with this shit. We're done with these movies. We're done with scenes. We want actual movies now. That's why action films and horror films and Rambo films, those started like holding on the audience hand that we that gave the bean counters that they're like okay we have this scene this scene this scene guaranteed action laughs killers stuff like that and they'd be like great sweet you have those everything else you can do whatever instead of doing it the other way around where they're like well eventually we're going to get to kurtz and when we do it's going to be really messed up or we're going to start with some explosions and stuff but it's all going to be dipped in theme thematics and then we're going to start to learn about the people on the boat so like the, they didn't have time for that shit anymore but Yes. Let me put it to you this way. How would you ex- describe the short film you made? Would you say it was more like Apocalypse Now or more like uh, Platoon, where it's a series of, where the plot is more specific? Oh, it's... A, a... No, it's Sorry. Apocalypse Now. It's Apocalypse Now. <laughs> if, if, now, you have the opportunity when you present that to people for some time until it reaches like YouTube and anyone clicks that button and presses play on your movie... You have that opportunity to look at them and say, this, this isn't plot-driven, it's urethral. It's, it's about the emotion of the moment. Like, you have to feel this movie to get it. So you, if you have that warning, you can give people that warning, great. But not everybody gets that opportunity. Just like here with you, like, how much more of an impact would this movie have had if you'd watched it in the middle of the week and then had a couple days to sit on it. Like maybe you'd have the same thoughts, but they'd be a lot more concrete. Maybe a lot, like maybe these scenes and these vigils would seep in you a little bit more if you watched it again. Like that's the kind of hope that you have with these kind of films. Like Stalker that I told you about, there isn't a lot of plot. It's a, a guy taking two people to uh, a location in a weird place and then he takes them back. And that's it. Like that's what happens to that movie. But it's a movie about fate. And a, what, the, how depressing and sad it is if you lived in a world with no faith, you did. So that it took me a while to find those dynamics there, but because I like was trying very hard to accept the movie for what it was, when I realized that I couldn't, I did the research and found out this is the key to open the door to this movie. And now I want to watch it again with the understanding of what it is, because it wasn't a movie about plot. It was about something way more deep and personal to the person who made it. Like that, like you can tell a, a Hollywood movie blockbuster when you see it by either the decade or just what it is in five ten minutes. Something like Apocalypse Now, you kind of have to make it to the point where he's sitting in front of those guys and they're talking about the actual point of the movie. Maybe it takes you to get to the boat. For you, it like you weren't getting it even to the point they got to the USO show, and it certainly wasn't easy for me to get it the first time I watched it. But the more and more I watch it, the more I'm like. This is as tight and as shaggy as I think it is. <laughs> this is this is really specific in the choices that it made, but it's also like you can tell like a lot of this is just about the mood and the setting and everything. But it, the more and more I watched it, going from him leaving that hotel room and society to what Kurtz made, I'm like, damn, damn. Like I I I wouldn't make it to the bridge. I wouldn't make it to the bridge. I'd probably be swallowed. I'd probably be swallowed alive by the USO show. There's just grifters, and the the USO the USO show is Barter Town. 
Oh, yeah. oh, God, yes. Um, yeah, I guess it wasn't, ex- I wasn't like, ex- I guess I wasn't expecting the movie as a portrait kind of thing, where it was like, okay, because like, there's not a lot of, <sighs> dang, oh my God, um, not a lot of difference between this and Mad Max except would, for how that, it's presented. Yeah, I would say that's actually the one thing that's hitting me is Willard himself. Like, Max is a Willard by the third movie, I would say. Well, the second movie, I would say he's a Willard. He's like, you guys don't know the world you're fucking in, and you're protecting this whole gas place. These guys are going to kill you sooner or later. You need to get the fuck out of here. So, like, Maybe I'll help you, but I'm going to get something out of it. Like, he's total Willard and I would say, Road Warrior. But the, the, the narration reminds me, and I caught this later. Apparently, uh, Coppola wanted this, too. They wanted him to be like a Philip Marlowe, who is a detective from detective movies. And his narration reminds me of detective movies where you, uh, a crime has happened, and maybe a detective's best friend or his partner's been murdered, someone he kind of cares about. And now he has to go into the seedy underworld of the city, below all the like fancy restaurants and nightclubs. He's got to go deeper. And he, all he sees is horrible shit. doesn't fade him. He just knows how to weasel his way out of those things. And throughout, he's narrating. He's like, this is Willie C. Willie C did this and that. And like, you, know, you don't mess with it. It's Sin City, basically. Um, that's how I feel like it is the case when I was watching it this time. I was like, oh, he's just... He's just, a, he's like a detective. He's just going down talking about this world because he's seen it all. He knows how bad it's going to be. He knows a sucker when he sees it. He knows a rat when he sees it. He knows a wise guy when he sees it. He knows an insane, violent maniac when he sees it. So that that's what I was taking more and more. Like, this was the dark underground of Vietnam. Like, And that was one of the more interesting things about Vietnam because Vietnam was one of the first wars that was televised. So there were images of, like, Soldiers just shooting Viet Cong people in the head on TV, like every now and then. Just villages burning. The melee massacre happened in the middle of this production, and that's why the boat scene happens where they shoot those people because it is a response of during the making of that film to an actual event during Vietnam. So I, this is a lot that they're going for thematically more than anything else. But it's it's it is a million dollar big budget art film made in a decade where like that's where they were throwing their money at oh yeah um like i think like one of the when, when i realized like oh man this is not the movie i was expecting it to be it was the ride of the valkyrie scene interesting i was like okay it's this big bombastic, arguably heroic uh, uh, song. And it's just the U.S. military bombing the hell out of this village. The song is called Ride of the Valkyries, and it's meant to be about the actual uh, iteration of Valkyrie, which was um, a god that would come in the middle of battle and decide who lived and died. Okay, yep, all right. Yep, that definitely fits then. (laughs) That definitely yeah, fits. It's a crazy scene. Yeah. Um, I was just like, watch. It's like, okay, right of the Valkyries is happening when the American, the American military, circa nineteen sixty whatever, is destroying a small village in 
um, in Vietnam. That was that was striking to me. I was like, oh, that's the point. Like that's that's the point. Like that's the point of all of this. And then I was watching it, and that's when I that's when the switch hit flipped in my brain. I was like, okay, now I know what I'm watching. And it just that's when the movie like slowed down for me. I was like, that's when it became like a trek. Um it was like just it was just like brutality after brutality. I was like, okay, then Lawrence Fishburne and the other guy died on the boat. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is just a portrait of the worst hell that mankind is capable, capable of making. That's the scary part for me. Um, so I was watching, then I started watching, then, like, that's when I stopped it, like, the second time, I'm like, okay, there was a point where I was, like, after the bridge scene, I was, like, stop, okay, I need to reset, because, like, like I need, I went, and, like, spl- I, I splashed water in my face, I was, like, okay, let's keep, let's keep going, I feel like we're almost there, um, because on, on my PlayStation, they don't have time codes, um, Sucks. So I really did not. I had to keep track of the, to, uh, of the time of day to figure out how far I was. Um, so, so then, like the whole like, oh god, the scene with the cow is going to be stuck in my head for as long as I live. Um, so, Viet Cong cow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and then there was a shot like, okay, like this, the thing I took away from the, okay. So Ryan Johnson did a video about knives out and how he likes to add depth by adding faces in the background, even whether it's like a painting or like, or something like that. Um, Mm. I do, I did, I saw like lots of that in this movie where it was like, well, they showed depth through that kind of um technique and i was um i was like oh that so that uh so that's how that's how that's done so um there's a lot of interesting depth of fields yeah and then yeah really interesting when you get to the end then there's literally like bodies everywhere in different forms like children adults heads people hanging on spikes, heads on spikes, like, without skin. It's yeah, all, all dehumanized. They literally are without humanity. They are objects now. Those people. So this movie was a this <laughs> this was a trip, <clears throat> and and oh, um. Like the whole like the smell of napalm in the morning line that like I I like I always knew the line it was like I love the smell of napalm in the morning it smells like victory I was like that now I have like the full weight of that line and now I, I think it's like one of the I think that's like 
maybe one of the best lines I've heard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you've got an Oscar nom for that. And uh, yeah, everybody, everybody did really well in terms of performances. Um, mm. Even Marlon Brando's drunken rampage. He, um, he, he wasn't drunk. He just was insane. Um, he did drink, but he wasn't drunk on the set. That was other well, people were the, drunk, but he, he just like didn't accept the script, and so he sat in front of the camera and he just like was like, "I'm gonna just say whatever I want." based off of what I think this movie's about. And they filmed that instead. And then it got to the point where he wouldn't even work with Coppola anymore. He worked with the second unit filmmaker. So, like, dude, the history of this movie is insane. Well, at least he looked the part. Um, he didn't even look the part. He was, like, 20 pounds overweight. Yeah, Chris no, is actually no. a very skinny dude. No, I, I think he looked the part. Well, actually, what they did is they shot him from low angles and avoided his guts so that he felt more imposing. There you go. There but you. I do I do think that he is great in this. Like, he made up the line, um, are you a soldier? And he, go, he goes, are you an assassin? And he goes, no, I'm a soldier. And he made up the line, no, you're a grocery, you're, you're an errand boy sent by grocery kids to collect a bill. It's so awesome. So, uh, like, mm, I have to. I also have to. I have to joke. I have. To, I have at least one joke. Like, Martin Sheen and uh, Tim Roth almost look identical. Um, they do look very close. Yes. Um, I was like, wait, isn't that isn't that like in Tim Roth movies? Like, no, it's Martin Sheen. It was like, I th- this movie looks so good. I. Like I always thought it was like late eighties, early nineties. But no, it's like late seventies. Yeah, he's really pretty looking. Chalk that up to digital remastering (laughs) and all that, but I'd say it still looks great. That's just how the movie looks. No, this has always looked this good. I mean, they've sharpened it somewhat, but they have done. There are like there's the redux and there's the final cut and stuff like this. We watched theatrical, so we watched the way they did then. It, they haven't touched it that much. They haven't added any CGI. They haven't done anything like that. Most of this was done practically, but it was it was it came out in '79, but it was mostly shot in the early in like the mid '70s. Wait, wait, okay. So going back to George Lucas, I cannot uh, imagine the George Lucas version of this. Like I just can't. I couldn't either until they mentioned the what his inspirations were, including Battle for Algernon and I, uh, Battle for Algiers, and I was like, okay, gotcha, I got it. Like, it probably wouldn't have been this scope and scale. There probably still would have been like helicopters and stuff like that, but like, it probably would have been more scaled back and personal and more like about close up and about like, it, it probably would have had more character to it and it would have been more streamlined. Coppola, this is like his. Like he had, it's not like his earliest work. I think he had made, let's see, Dimension 13 and maybe two other movies before he got to Godfather. But this is his first real, like, big budget movie because the conversation, and I love the conversation, what is a very small Gene Hackman movie. Um, it's in like two, three rooms, stuff like that. Um, so he, this is not, uh, this is early in his career. He was making ballsy choices and he technically went insane during making this so um so i was watching that video you sent me i was like okay wait so i was i wanted to go back to that 
Wasn't there a point where it was like so I feel I could have sworn I heard somebody ex- explain that like even though Lucas had told Francis Ford Coppola just go do it. I'm going to make Star Wars. You just go ahead and make the darn thing. Mm-hmm. And then and then somebody chimed in and was like he still felt that sort of like possession over like that was his project. Did two- I mishear that? There's two conflicting stories. There are people that say that, like, well, because Lucas admits personally that he did American Graffiti so that as a so it could be a success and he could use that to push to make Apocalypse Now. But he made it because he was the one who was supposed to make it with his friend Francis Ford Coppola. But it was taking forever to get made. There were so many things that weren't working out. They weren't. They were going to have to make the funding to get all the things that the government was supposed to help them with. The military was supposed to help them with, but that wasn't happening. They wanted to shoot it in Vietnam, and he's like, "This thing is not." They saw the scout and stuff like that, and he's like, "Well, if we're going to keep doing that, then I'm going to make American graffiti." And then it was a success, and he could do whatever he wanted. And he realized it's going to take even longer to make this movie, and I have a chance to make other stuff. He tried to make Flash Gordon and realized he couldn't, and he decided just to make Star Wars. But also, by the time it had gotten to that point, and he had to ask himself, do I want to spend four months in the jungle making this movie that's already a hassle in the first place? And I've got passions in other places, and I have ideas. And he, by asking that question... He found a key to solving the puzzle of Star Wars, and it pushed him even further. By asking why he liked Apocalypse, it answered a question as to why he loved Star Wars. And then he was like, well, fuck, now i got to make Star Wars. And Coppola, needing the movie to get made at some point, was like, well, you got to make it. You're the director. And he's like, I really don't want to make this, man. I want to make Star Wars. And Coppola was like, if I make it, I'm going to make it different. I'm not going to make it the way you want to make it. I'm going to make it a big spectacle. I'm going to make it like the longest day or guns of the Navarone. Like I'm going to make this shit big. It's not going to be the way you want it. And Lucas was like, make it, I'm making Star Wars. And Coppola was like, I'm making this then. And he went for it. And then he hit every single goddamn speed bump he ever could to make a movie. And it, it turned out to be a good movie. It turned out to be a success. It was a miracle, though, that it did. So, uh, like, yeah. So, like, Actually, if th- it wasn't even just a miracle; it was several minor miracles, truthfully. Yeah. So, it's the story of it's the version of that it, of like Lucas being like, well, that he was like, make somewhat it. sour that it wasn't the way that he wanted it to be. That would explain so much. About his, about his, uh, about the way he has spoken out about Disney Star Wars. Um, he's protective. He's protective of his properties. He always has been. And Star Wars being the most important. I think the interesting thing about that is you have to ask yourself, what was it like? It couldn't have just been that. Like he, it, you work a while on a movie and a story and an idea. He worked a while on Apocalypse, more than a year. So. Uh, my guess is a lot that fueled it was the actual Vietnam War that was going on at the time. Everyone was talking about it. He was seeing images every day. He really probably felt for these small villages that were kicking the ass of these overpowered, overbearing Americans and the military. So he probably continued to feel that way until the war was over and his focus went somewhere else. Now he wanted to do something like fantastical and, and he's like, well, why did I respond in the first place? And he took that element and put it in. But he was... 
like a lot of other people after the Vietnam War, wanted like fun. They wanted machismo. They wanted, you know, adventure. They wanted escapism. So that's what he gave them. So, yeah, I just had that. I said that thought. I was like, man, that would explain so much as to how bitter he is about the new yeah. Star Wars. Um. So. That's why, like, if I ever get big, the first thing I'm going to ask for is I need to read Lucas's treatments for 7, 8, and 9. I want to know how much better it may or may not have been. Um, um, like, that's like a holy grail to me. Like, I have to know. All right. Well, uh, Zach, what did you think of returning to Apocalypse Now? So, I got to tell the story of how I first saw Apocalypse Now. Oh, uh, here we go. Let's do it. So I first saw Apocalypse Now in college uh, during an adaptation. Of course, on adaptations where we watched Apocalypse Now and Heart of Darkness. Um, and the first time I watched it, I thought it was the most boring movie in the history of the world. I was very close to coming to that conclusion. I'm not going to lie. Until the, the switch flipped. That was the that was my conclusion the first time I watched it. I had a list of a hundred. I had the AFI's original ninety seven list of greatest movies yep. that was on there. Just watching all of them. Yep. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that most people think that it is really boring the first time they watch it because it's not inherently what everyone thinks it is. But um, what I think is really interesting watching it a second time is how much more you see of it. Um. I see a lot more of the internal stuff now, a lot less of the like, oh, this movie just is really boring, and it's about a dude who just goes absolutely batshit crazy. Uh, there's a lot, I've noticed that there's a lot more about the, the value of war, the value of the human condition, is how far can a person go to achieve a goal um, and, and all kinds of stuff like that. And watching it now, it, it's not boring, but I do think that the movie tends to feel like it drags a while, but it's not. But that I think it's mostly because the movie's slower. It's a little bit slower, especially in the middle. There's a couple key action pieces, and then Marlon Brando basically just, you know, monologues for about 30 minutes. Um, and, and that's, yeah. then that's, that feels slow, but I think a lot, if you, when you stop necessarily weighing like, oh, I'm looking for something interesting, not something, something actiony and exciting and not interesting, and you start looking at the movie from the perspective of this is something, ex what they're saying is very important and very interesting and very intuitive to the plot of what's going on right now and what uh, the character has been going through and all that. There is so much more that could that can be told, and I just find the movie very fascinating now because it really is a look into the world that's going on and the events. And I, I honestly think like the the history of this movie is way more interesting than the movie itself. <laughs> I I think the movie is really pretty and it's very good looking and it is a lot going for it but i think when you look down to it that the story of the movie is way more interesting than anything yeah um the story of how the movie got made gotcha um i 
I think um, I don't know. I, this isn't my favorite Coppola. It it yeah. In ter- it is my favorite Vietnam movie. I think I find Platoon to be straightforward and to the point, but also kind of boring. Uh, I may need to go back, but I find the uh, the more and more I watch, the more I appreciate this what it is. But I also understand that this is not an easy watch. It's no. weird. Nope. As well nope. As- well as very dour and about evil and about and like our hero is not a hero he's in he's just a guy who's okay with the choices he's made which is really bad when sometimes that choice is to shoot a dying woman or yep. you know i was just about know, to bring that up hello man uh so this movie is not easy easy going right like late afternoon like late evening stuff this isn't a party movie you need to be in the mood for it but i also think that which is why I hoped you'd watch it in the middle of the week and not right before. Because it's like, there's a sense of expediency. You're like, well, I got to watch this in two and a half hours. You don't have time to pause the button and like ease into it. Yeah. Um, I, believe in, I believe in being in a possible generation where you can pause the movie and take a breather if you need to and uh, go off and do something and then take a few days to think about it. I think this is the kind of movie that probably deserved that. But um, uh, watching it also right away is really jarring and kind of funny um that's also probably because i've seen it four times this week uh at the end of the day i do think that movies like this are uh i'm warming up to them more and more um just taking the time to think about why the images are the way they are like i the more and more i watch this the more things i'm noticing for example like when he goes to meet the generals to get the mission in the first place he walks into the room and then the camera pans around a slight corner to reveal slowly who the main general is. And then when he walks in to meet Kurt, they bring him in, they put him down on his knees, and then they slide the camera around a corner to reveal that Kurt is there in the exact same way. And I was like, there's precision here. There's things being said here. There's points being made here about what people have to go through to get to this point. And it took me forever to be like, like, Mark, uh, Willard has done all of the things that Lance has done by the time he reaches Kurt's Island before he even gets on the boat. He's already that gone. He's going there because he wants to understand that there's another person out there like him, that that person got off the boat and never got back on, and that he did that. Now he wants to do it again because, you know, he doesn't give a shit about himself. He's just going to go do it. It's like, I, I get the point of it, and I respect it admirably, but you have to be in the mood for this movie. It's like um, Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream is not an easy watch. You need to be absolutely in the mood to watch something that is going to make you feel disgusting about being alive. So there you go. Um, yeah. And as for cinema, though, I think it's required watching for cinema. Yeah, that's Love what I'm going to say. Like, it's not for everybody, but. I think that everyone should watch this at least once. You if know? you love if you love film and if you especially particularly love war films, this is something you need to watch absolutely. But if especially if you like I love and want to make movies, you have to watch this. If not if you don't love the movie, then look into how this movie was made and I guarantee you you're going to be like shocked because all of it is fucking crazy. Right. <laughs> all of it is amazing. So I, luckily, that aspect is there. But for me, I'm trying to just look at the film for what it is. And the more and more I watch, the more I respect that it's just a trippy hallucination 
of a journey, you know? It's a road movie. It's just, this guy goes on a journey, he doesn't even want to take these people with him, they go with him, you know? He takes them deeper down the river, they think they can handle it, they all die, and he, you know, does what he has to do and gets the hell out. So this is all pretty much practically done, right? Like, there's not any, like, fancy work done in post, right? Because, like, I could have sworn those helicopters were real. Uh, uh, anyway. Every single house. Pretty much as shot. Like, all is real. There's no green screen. There's no computer yeah. stuff. No miniatures. There's no matte paintings. They went there and they They might have done some coloring fixing, but not really much past that. Right. Um, anything else before we grade? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I would hope that um, you look into the history of this thing um, and just look into it. But I think that might be something that will interest you a little bit more once we get into the Godfathers, which there's three of them, so they're a franchise deal. Uh, I think if I bring another Coppola to the table, it might be The Outsiders, because that's really, we can make fun of that just as much as we can kind of say we enjoy it. Um, but then I, I also love the conversation. And I would love to kind of like show that to people. But this and the Godfathers are what he is most well known for. Um, and he, they are important to movies. They, they are some of the most, ins- they've inspired a lot of people. That's pretty much it. Uh, really okay. Then, then, uh, uh, great it. Um, a plus. This is an A plus. I have no reservations. I I mean the re- all the extended editions where they add other things. It's just a longer version of a beautiful movie. But like I, I the theatrical version to me is perfect. I mean all of the things that I think are like filler. I'm now starting to understand are like there for a reason. There was like hours of footage here, and I think he this edit is really good. So it's also beautiful. There's nothing else like it. It's like everything went wrong and yet what the, you get in the end is still um, a, a beautiful piece of filmmaking so it plus to me uh, it's not for everyone it's an A plus. I'm gonna probably shock you a little bit but I'm gonna say A minus mm-hmm. a- and the reason why is because again I think the movie despite everything it's saying is important and there's always stuff it does drag at times, and that is for especially for a first time viewing, and even for a second or a third time viewing, it hurts a lot. And it's not that I don't think what the movie's trying to say is interesting, but like you go into a movie like that and you're expecting it to be a bit more action-y than it ends up being. And obviously it's a very big movie about the human condition and the story behind why it's made. And despite everything, it did it. And it's still so good and so pretty. And to this day, it is important. And everyone should study it. It's so important. But it does drag in the middle. And even I am, at the end. <laughs> I am actually also gonna say a minus but here i'm gonna i'm gonna say that it drags on purpose yes to like to really let to really let it sink in yep um 
But like, yeah, this was not an easy watch for me. It just like never meant to be. I, I, I appreciate it. I respect you, man. I didn't think it's not like I didn't think you would respect it for what it is. I think it's hard to watch this movie and be like, that was shit. But, this is, but here's it, the thing. It's not like a guilt trip. No. It's not, but it's, it's not like a guilt trip, right? But you don't like... This isn't the kind of content. There's no hope in this. You know? And I know right. that. But that's not the kind of thing you just enjoy watching. You can't put yourself in that shoes and be prepared for that and watch it and respect it for what it is. But that's not the thing you like will come home and watch after a long day from work, which is gutterly primarily what we all enjoy. You don't you want a happy ending, you want like satisfaction to a certain end. And this movie is satisfying when you really get what it is, and when you get what it is, it's kind of like unsettling and discour and discouraging. So <laughs> it's yeah. like Here's your here's your prize for your Easter basket. It's a bunch of plastic eggs filled with goo. You don't know what the goo is. So, yeah, um, apocalypse now. In our rear view, um, as we haul this uh, war rig across the wasteland, um, yeah. All right, so we've got the. Um, We've got uh, some to. We have to set. What did we end up replacing Apocalypse Now with, by the way? I don't remember. Oh, oh, oh! I do, I do. Oh God, what was it? Um, it's my choice. I think it was yours. No, it was. All right, hold on. The moment, the moment I see it on the on my list here, um, I'll know what it was. He's about to kill... Interstellar! Kurt. Interstellar! That's what we replaced it with. Oh, yeah. So, Zach, you did not submit no. a curiosity, so I pitched Interstellar to Alex, and he was like, okay. And then, that wasn't mine. That was the one we decided to replace with what would have been yours. And then, we picked um, ours, and then it landed on Interstellar. So you still technically won. Yes. But I didn't want Interstellar. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I didn't. That's why you send your pick. I was supposed to remind him. I didn't. He hung up before we did because I said something that made him mad. What? No, I didn't. I had to go to bed. Sure. <laughs> so we have to, we have a bit of controversy here in terms of the bad wheel. Mm. So. We're not way we're not, back when what? to explain. We're not replacing with toys. Way back when, not your show. We spun the bad wheel and it landed on toys. Now at the time, toys was unavailable on in every conceivable way. But it turns out Alex found that on HBO Max. So I didn't know what to. Wait, then where is it then? It's on, Hulu. it's on HBO Max and HBO. If it's on Hulu, then it means that it's back on streaming services again. My guess is that contract ended from its last one. Now it's back again. So now... We either skip spinning the wheel and just do toys. No. Now, now, now. No, no, no. That's straight my vote. My my thing. What? That may be your vote. I get it, but like, first of all, why? 
yeah, I do want to. I do want to talk this out. out. There are other movies that have been on there longer than Toys. We must get to no, them. No, no, Toys has been there since day one. Yes. Same with same with Last Airbender and The Wicker Man and Doom. And we landed on it. It just couldn't be watched. And we said that it's a possibility that we would get it, we would bring it back if we could. So we either bring it back tonight or we replace it with the thing that I'm okay we with own. replacing it with oh, whatever watch. we. But no, you just want to watch Last Airbender. Come on. You're damn right I do. <laughs> okay. So. I'm okay with replacing it and foregoing choosing in favor of putting toys back on. Worse. I am going to agree with that. Why? Because I really want to spin the wheel. I really want to spin the wheel. Fine. Listen, okay, here's, I'll make this agreement with you, Alex. You can't, you can't see me, but we, my arms are pouting ever so much. We are going to keep an... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep it, I'm going to keep track of, of toys. The moment it says it's leaving so-and-so streaming services, we will stop what we are doing oh, and do toys. It's while. I looked it up. It's going to be on there for a while. <laughs> Wait, what? I look, it says on Xfinity... Um, how long is it going to be there? Be there a while. How, how long is a while? I don't know. I think it was a year. It wasn't like 2020. It was 20 something else. I'll look it up. But uh, yeah, fine. We'll put it as the the replacement. I can't deny that spinning the wheels is fun. Oh, shoot. Okay, so. Bad Wheel, then, is as follows. The Last Airbender. Yay. The Watcher. Okay. I'm not watching the Last Airbender show. Right. The, the, the M. Night Shyamalan Last Airbender. Um, and the Watcher. Nicholas Cage's The Wicker Man. Oof. Doom. D-O-O-M. Doom. Not Dune. Toys is on HBO until May of next year. That's a long time. That's a long time. Master of Disguise. North. North would be fine. Dragon Ball Evolution. Ugh. Seen it. And speaking of George Lucas, Howard the Duck. Duck boobies. Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Razor Blade Frisbee. And from what you say, so much more. Um, Again, a box. Freaked. That's also on Prime Video, it looks like. What? Howard Ticket? No, Toys. Man, it looks like it's everywhere now. Um, so freaked, rollerball. Love on a leash. The hard one, guys. You're gonna love it. The all important Dungeons and Dragons. That's for Zach. That is for me. You're gonna love it. I know. Birdemic, Shock and Terror. Yay, Birdemic. That is a great movie. That is a great movie.
finally, Teen Wolf. Ew. <laughs> Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf's so bad. It's so fun, though. I want, I want Zach to see this. I mean, I want Chris to see this. I want Chris to see this. So, last reminder of what you're recommending. Just making sure these are all on here. And next for the size, Doom, North, Dragon Ball Evolution, blah, blah. Okay, it looks like we're all on here. We're not missing anything, are we? I don't know. I am genuinely nervous. I'm not. See, this is why I want to spin the wheel. I get genuine thrill. I agree. Spinning the wheel is fun. I was being a baby for fun. Um, Okay. You guys ready? Sure. Mm. Three, two... Wait, 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 wait. You got to share. Oh, right, 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 To make sure this is legitimate. I, yes. I apologize. Uh, Good thing I stopped. Okay, can you see it? No. Yes. Maybe. Can you see it? Yes, I can see it. <laughs> can you see <laughs> Three? Can you feel the love tonight? <clears throat> Just Three, spin it already. God damn it. Two. Spin it! One. Spin. Oh, boy. Oh. 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 Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, the next movie we will be reviewing on the Meister Movie Podcast, Rollerball. Oh, oh my God. Wait, 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 wait. We, got to, we, have, to make, we have to make sure, because, because we just mentioned toys. This is a 1975 film, right? Yes. No, that's a good one. That's a good one. We want the 2004 Chris Klein. Rebecca Romain. 2002? Because it says 2002. That's the one, yes. 3% watched. Oh, it's on yeah. Hulu. Okay, we're good. We're good. It's, it's watched. We, it is available. All right, guys. Well, this is an action movie. Via of- Cinemax, it looks like. It's on a lot. I think it's on Foodie. Um, That's Blue Cinemax. So, so this, okay, so I've n- never seen the 1975 film. I've always been to. I just haven't gotten around to it. But I did watch this on TV, and I got five minutes in, and I was like, oh, boy, what the fuck? And then I started watching it, and it's, like, cheesy early 2000s. It's re- in a really fun, great way. But it's also horribly edited. And there's some amazingly bad choices. For example, there is a 15-minute night vision car chase. So... Is it a 50-minute or a 15-minute? No, 15 minutes. Okay. 1-5. And here's the thing. You know who made this? Who? Predator, Die Hard, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Hunt for Shut Red Shut up! John Richard Mick Donner? Mick. John, John McTiernan, sorry. Richard Donner, Chris... What the fuck? I'm sorry. No, I, when I hear Hunt for Red October, I, I don't know. My mind just went to Richard Donner. I don't know. That sounds like a. They're 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 like they're from the same timeline. They were making movies at the same time. Anyway, oh my god. Okay, yeah. let me uh let me put a let me put a trailer on mute and react to it. 
All right, well, let me do the same thing because I just finished Apocalypse well, Now. Well, well, let's let's uh let's finish the episode out real quick first. No, 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 no. This is content. Do this. Oh my God, LL Cool J, Crazy White, Paul Heyman. So which one are you watching? The classic trailer one. The classic trailer one on movie clips. Okay, wait. Have you started? Okay, here we go. I've already started. John Renault. Little bitch. Yeah. This is, I'm getting like ready to rumble vibes. Um certainly. it's an attempt to be cooler. Uh, oh my god, this is what is the trailer is even bad. I gotta see this. I take it forever to get to the end. Oh yeah, the trailer's real bad. This takes place um, in the future before the world of uh dread, it feels like. Um, this also like takes place in a non COVID nineteen world. It takes place in a country that doesn't exist, like Kazakhstan or something. It's it's really bad. the main the main it. guy looks like not Keanu Reeves. Oh, you've never watched a Chris Klein performance? Oh, you don't know about Chris Klein? Okay, yeah. So Chris Klein got big through American Pie, like a bunch of the other American Pie guys, and then he started like doing a couple romantic comedies, and they tried to make him an action guy, but he just comes across really creepy and evil, and has since then taken taken. Uh, what the, is this? And he has like now played a lot of like assholes and creeps, and has used that edge to play better characters in comedies and stuff like that. And I like Chris Klein nowadays, but um, he would play this like sensitive kind of guy. And then it would never work. And then he played this like like lead in an action movie, and he just seems like a douchebag, like evil Keanu. And he's supposed to be the hero, and also he's just bad. Um, and then yeah, he just never found. He was never really perfect. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I feel bad for Chris Klein back then. I feel. I mean, I feel bad that. for like Sean William Scott because he hasn't really done much. Okay, is this like Scott has done the Goon movies and no, I love I love Sean William Scott. The Goon movies are great. So is this like as unwatchable as Catwoman? This is in Catwoman territory. No, this is, well, this is as goofy as it is sometimes horribly edited. Um, but yeah, it's like it's up there. It's in Catwoman territory of how bonkers and stupid it is. But it's like from two thousand two. Um, again, made from one of the most important action filmmakers of all time. I am not lying. I'm actually looking forward to this. This is gonna be fun. This is really bad. This is really bad. It might be <laughs> watching it. But I'm getting what happens. I'm getting strong. Ready to rumble vibes, except it's an attempt at being cooler. Um, with this, this is going to be nice escapism to shit on this. I guarantee you, it's a good shit. On. So there you go, everybody. <laughs> We're going from apocalypse now to rollerball. That's so weird. <laughs> the wheel has made another leap. It's crazy, and toys is back in the game. Toys is back in the game. Let me just uh, <laughs> let me just um. Should be watching it now. Toys would be amazing right now, but uh, we're getting this instead, and that's okay. Um, so there you go, everybody. Uh, that's our episode. We'll be back next time with a rollerball, and uh, we will see you guys then. Say goodbye, guys. Bye. Bye 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 bye. Hashtag release to George Lucas cut.
Chris. Oh, gosh. Stop with that terrible joke. It's dead. Yeah, stop with the terrible joke and that excellent catchphrase. You know what? Keep going. 